0: Sure, it's good-natured ribbing. Yes, all the time, 24-7. Um, so, yeah.
1: Ribbed for everyone's displeasure. Oh, no. <laughs> oh,
0: no. <laughs> it's a condom joke. Um, well, what would you expect
2: on this show?
0: Uh, this is also true. This is also true. Although, yeah. me and Bo are here to uh, inject a bit of, uh, dare I say, sanity. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. A bit of decorum. A also touch de- of class, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll also decided today that me and Bo do for smugness, what LSD and ecstasy do for rave parties. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, so this is going to be a good one.
1: <laughs> and with that, I want to say welcome to episode 15 of the VD Clinic podcast. Welcome, Duncan. Welcome, Bo.
3: Oh, thank you. It's very you, nice to be here.
1: How are you fellas doing today in uh, alphabetical order?
3: Uh, all right, I had to do the math on that. That would be me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the weekend. What do you want? So, no uh,
2: math in the alphabet, though.
3: Well, there are, I ascribe uh, numbers to letters much like uh, code breakers of yore. <laughs> and. It's a cipher, uh, yeah, yeah, like the Enigma code kind of thing. Uh, but no, I'm I'm doing really well. I'm uh I'm excited to talk about this. I have uh I've binged, uh, rereading Cabal over the past you know day, and uh, it's all fresh in my head. My 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 brain is soaked with semen.
1: Do you have a, do you have a murder hard?
3: Yeah, oh my god. I, I swear to god, Clive Barker. Let's just get this out of the way. Clive Barker is just Stephen King with more cum.
2: <laughs> True.
1: <laughs> oh, dear. Follow that, Duncan. Um. Uh,
0: how are you? <laughs> I, I, oh yeah, there we go. He stole my thunder. Um... I, too, was going to make a Stephen King come-based joke, um, but that's gone. Uh, that ship has sailed uh, with a lot of seamen. Ah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> yours wasn't much better, bro. Um Yeah, I'm well. I'm well. I'm very excited about this one. This is one of my favourite 90s horror movies and also one of my favourite Clive Barker novels. So... Uh, big fan of uh, uh, Big CB, as uh, as um, I get to call him because we're we're friends, and um, yeah, he's uh, he was on he was firing on all cylinders when this book came out. I mean, he literally just finished doing Hellraiser, and he managed to knock this one out in between, you know, making Hellraiser and uh, kind of helping out in Hellraiser too. So, as you do, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, what have I done today? Nothing. Uh, yeah, I had to motivate myself to have a shower, so <laughs> nice.
3: Yeah. That, that but that's a rare day for you. Usually like like some sort of robot, you are just driving yourself into an early grave. I think you do.
0: I think we have established from the previous episode, the season finale of Duncan and Ball come correct that I am not a robot, Bo. So we will not cast dispersions that way again.
1: Sorry, sorry, Android, American, Android, uh, Scottish, Android, Scotsman.
0: No, nothing, nothing mechanical here. all
1: organic.
3: Yeah, it's all (laughs) bioengineering.
0: But yes, I'm doing very well. I'm very excited. Thank you very much for uh, having me on your show. I was supposed to have been here a couple of months ago, but um, due to illness, could not make it, and um, I like to say that I have one on this one because whilst that one was a topic, kind of black metal and stuff, that I am have a bit of an interest in. I've got far more interest in Nightbreed and Cabal, so yeah, I'm very excited to be here.
1: Wonderful. And the V in VD Clinic. <laughs> Vanessa, how are you doing today?
2: I'm good. Yourself?
1: I'm doing great. I was relatively productive for a day of hanging out, smoking pot, and watching movies. Um, I got... The floor for my special recording room finished.
3: <laughs> nice. Yes. Is it, uh, it has the drain in the middle?
1: hmm <laughs> Yep. So nice. I can just sit in my mesh chair and yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it at that because we don't want people turning this off until the episode's over.
3: Uh, speaking of how dumb I am. I just realized that uh now the v d clinic not i mean because you darren were not originally a member of the v d clinic, and yet your now like uh uh like uh, your position as host it now gives the show a v and a d I
0: always had a v and d because it was yeah. David before. I thought you knew that, Bo. I'm kind of, I'm kind of at the moment. His I'm, name was John. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like the thing is, I'm staring at your small little profile photo on the screen right now, um, and kind of disbelief that it is taking you this long to work this out. I, I give you, Look, like, I think, I think the way I tackle you with my sarcastic humour and sometimes um, blunt anger gives you a bit too much credit yeah um, <laughs> absolutely you do rein that back in
3: <laughs> yeah yeah like your the bar should be well below average <laughs> with occasional spikes of accidental smartness
0: it's like those it's, it's like those um those those uh funny videos that circulate online where they splice the Matrix with someone failing, and it's Lawrence Fishburne going. He's starting to believe in <laughs> <And> something <laughs> yeah. really bad happens. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, I'm doing that from now on. Doing that from now on. <laughs> it's it's the way so, to go. I'm telling you. So it. so now that we've cracked the, the the enigma code as Bo called it of this show, that the VD clinic might not actually stand for some sort of sexually transmitted disease, and might in fact be the initials of the two hosts. Um, <laughs> oh. uh,
2: <laughs> or uh, actually as my my mother thought it stood for vaginas and dick
0: <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah there we go Genitalia.
2: and I'm like that's where you went before my name and someone else's
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: or venereal disease like <laughs> it's like,
4: okay mom
1: <laughs> oh she and I are going to get along famously if we get her on for that shakes the clown episode
2: uh, ho- hopefully
1: <laughs> That's true. I don't know. She might not like me. Anyway. Everyone, no, that seems likes, yeah. everyone likes. Everyone likes.
2: will love you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll it's tell like her. that show. every
3: everybody loves Darren. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> my fa- my favorite bit is when he's awkward, humongous brother, uh, who's also a police officer, comes in and just moans about things.
1: Hi, Darren.
0: Not like that. That's exactly what it's like. He just comes in, and moans about his stuff, and then he leaves. Um, that's, that's my that's my favourite part of that. Or when his parents come across the road and try and sabotage his marriage.
1: Uh, <laughs> I only let Frank Boy, Frankie Boyle, Frank Frank Boyle Doyle, Frankenstein.
0: <laughs> yeah, Peter Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle. Thank you, thank you. I've corrupted you. You never know? get <laughs> like, like something of it.
1: Oh right, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. I was checking out Frankie Boyle earlier. That's right. Anyway, we Sorry, are
2: helicopter. <laughs>
4: <laughs> He's got a gun
1: <laughs> Won't be the
0: first time that's said on this show. <laughs> a whole lot of gun. Nope. Ah, oh, Cronenberg, why do I love you so much? And why won't you return my threatening emails? <laughs>
3: He's probably got them all collected, like, tied with a ribbon, delicately, oh. <laughs> and well, that, every that... now and again, he just pulls them out and looks them over and thinks, is this really what I worked my whole life for?
0: It's certainly the image that I masturbate too furiously, Bo, is him doing just that.
3: I can't imagine that any any Scots uh, Scotsman of uh, any sort of repute masturbates any other way than furiously.
0: Oh, it has to be furiously, or you're not doing it right. Has to has to be equal like very much like a Clyde Parker um novel. It has to be equal measures of pain and pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> I there's no I
3: there's no point. Just staring down at his turgid cock. Yep. Saying, Gone and you
0: come you cunt. <laughs> he's he's getting he's getting there. He is getting there. He's slowly becoming almost Scottish. <laughs> like, like, so... <laughs> Slowly getting there, slowly getting there. The real reason that David Cronenberg can't return the threatening emails I send him is because I keep forgetting he's chained in my basement. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where he'll stay. He'll stay there until he promises me, promises me, that he will, in fact, stop the Soska sisters making a rabid remake. Because that is a remake I don't need. (laughs) Don't need that one. Give them shivers instead. Shivers is where they should be. Rabid needs to be left alone. Yeah. Wow, just coming out
3: with hot takes right off the bat. That's
0: what I do, Bo. That's what I do. Um, I like to put things out there that are slightly controversial and or uncomfortable for everyone to listen to. That's my my bag. (laughs) It's the basis for every show we've ever done. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) But this is not our show, Bo. So we need to, what do the kids, what do the kids call Shut up. Um, And and let the V and the D uh, direct us in the direction of which which way this show is going.
1: All right. Well, I guess before we totally take this train off the tracks, we should say we are here to talk about Clive Barker's movie Nightbreed. Uh, What, that came out in 1990? Mm -hmm. Yes. Based off a book by... Guy with the same name, Clive Barker. Coincidence? Yeah, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of
3: embarrassing, really.
1: Yeah. Maybe
2: the same person? We're not sure. Maybe
1: he took people that were in Hellraiser. I think I think Clive Barker uh, is stalking Clive Barker. That's maybe. That's quite possible. But Nightbreed, uh, based off his book Cabal. Um. Let's see the uh, back of the box. I guess would be. I don't know why they're calling it an American dark fantasy horror film because it was written and shot in England, right? Mostly it was written and shot in England. and I think it's this, the the book takes Canada. place in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> so well, okay. If we're gonna call it American, let's say North American, so we can be inclusive. That's um, where the money came from. More where accurate. The mo- yeah, uh, follow the money. Uh, starring Craig Sheffer and Bobby David Cronenberg, who is locked in Duncan's basement. Mm-hmm. Charles Hayde, Hugh Corshi, and Mister Doug Bradley. He's not a sir, is he? I don't. I don't know if. Uh... Oh
0: no, they'll never knight him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they'll just they'll just knight they'll knight everyone else who's I like they'll they'll knight people that I don't know helped a fucking a three-legged cat across the street but doug bradley will never get
3: knighthood probably because someone saw wrong turn five
0: (laughs) is he in in wrong turn five yes yeah he sure is (laughs) yeah about to run the train on that franchise with the Baz, and i've only ever seen the first two so uh, and i hear they get better after part two so i'm looking forward to that yeah,
3: that's really the low-water mark of that franchise, uh, where afterwards everything else has a degree of sophistication that mm. the first two really
0: lack. Well, if you've got Doug Bradley in your movie, I mean, you, at least you will have eloquent dialogue put forth with purpose, um, and a degree of certainty.
1: Said with a question mark inflection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's exactly why I did that. <laughs> Certainty, certainty. The- I love the fact that he's like that. I will
0: never do Hellraiser revelations because the script is rushed, and it is a betrayal of the principles that I <laughs> set forth as an actor. What's that? The script for Wrong Turn Five sold. <laughs> Sign me <laughs> up. Um, good on you, Doug. Good on you, Doug. And the shame, the the poor thing about. Doug Bradley and Nightbreed is that it only took till the director's cut to he actually heard his voice. It was redubbed, so in the original cut. Uh, and it clearly is not Doug Bradley. Um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who it is, but Doug Bradley doesn't talk like that. Surprise, it was me, all along. That, and that, now this makes sense.
2: And I would have gotten away with it too if it hadn't been <laughs> meddling kids.
0: <laughs> huh? Um, so yeah. Uh good one, Duncan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, It's a scream, baby! No, that's the wrong thing. That's the wrong thing. I'm getting the mental tub. He's <laughs> got a Scooby Snack!
4: <laughs>
0: and then
1: oh. Casey Kasem shot Courtney Cox. <laughs> All ties together. Yep. Um. The film features an unstable mental patient named Boone, who is falsely led to believe by his doctor, Dr. Decker, that he's a serial killer.
0: I like to shorten the name Boone to two letters. Uh, Oh, Bo! That's right. An escaped mental patient called Bo. Oh, he escaped. I'm out on my own recognizance. (laughs) (laughs) Is it? Is it really escaping, Bo? If no one knows you've left yet.
3: Yeah, Uh, I think that pile of pillows is going (laughs) to suffice for a little while.
1: If a mental patient escapes and those orderly hasn't checked on them yet
2: at least until medication time
1: yep nurse ratchet's a bitch Mm. hot take (gasps) I'm the first person that said that (laughs) Right. she's not very nice (laughs) she doesn't paint the mental health situation in America in the 50s or 60s in a good light at all no, it no. wasn't
4: good. Newsflash. <laughs> <It>
1: <laughs> she did try to kill Chucky before it got started, but you know that wouldn't. I don't know. Sorry, the coffee's kicking in. <laughs> He's starting to believe yes. all the, all the, all the blood. Yeah, I can't think because of my murder hard. Yeah. Mm. I'll try not to say that too much because that sounds so weird coming out of my mouth.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, just a little bit. Um, did we ever hear that in the movie?
1: Nope, not in the movie.
2: I didn't think so. Ever. Like
1: a thousand times in the book. <laughs> I, well, yeah, I think yeah
2: it's exactly.
4: The,
0: it's the sort of thing that, because this, this movie had issues, shall we say, um, it's the sort of thing that I imagine when the script was handed in, they were like, no. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, nope, and it's, this seems to be getting used a lot. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, in fact, let's just remove that phrase altogether and replace it with something else. Um, um, so yeah, that's that's how I imagine it. There were um, turns out people <laughs> in studios were slightly uncomfortable with some of the sexual nature of uh, Clive Barker's writing.
4: Go figure.
0: It's really, really strange because had they watched the movie that he was famous for before Hellraiser, it's literally ripping out that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the cenobites look like they were in that gay club from fucking Police Academy, you know when it's like do do, do 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 The purple do. onion, yes. Yeah, that's it. Um, it literally, it literally looks like every single character from that, <laughs> or from a, like a, a mid '80s Queen video. <laughs> If you know what I mean. Um, so I yeah, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why anyone was like, yeah, oh dear, I've just read the script for the the new Clive Barker. Oh, have you? Yeah, it's based on one of his books. So did you read the book? Well, not really, but there's, he's hot shit just now. He's the guy behind Hellraiser. Oh, yeah, I never watched it. It looked a bit weird. Yeah, but, but it made a lot of money. Awesome. We should totally just, right. Well, well, why are you pulling that face? Have you, have you read the script yet? No, it's, um, it's a bit sexually explicit. Oh no, we can't have that. Not in nineteen nineties America. Tipper Gore will not have any of that. Let's get it removed. And that's that. That is my reenactment of what happened. I just want to stress that I wasn't there. Uh, so all of that is a reconstruction purely from fantasy. So. I, I, I
3: I envision uh, somebody at Morgan Creek Entertainment, or the you know the producer of the film reading cabal yes and and giving clive barker a little jingle jangle <laughs> and saying hey uh we haven't we haven't finished the script yet we uh we were reading the source material uh just quick question there clive uh first of all we think you're a genius and uh, we can't wait to work with you um is uh g- craig sheffer gonna come on baphomet at the end of this <laughs> <laughs> yes one can only hope. <laughs> can we t- uh, how about the bestiality? Can we tone that down? Maybe a, a, a skosh? I hesitate to say a hair, because that might turn you on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no hairs were harmed in the making of this movie. Plenty of, ra- plenty of rabbit soul, but no hairs.
1: <laughs>
0: but dumb. Ugh. That's right. That's right, Bo. <laughs> Take it in. Which was what Clyde Barker said when he was <laughs> when he was writing the novel. Um so yeah, uh yeah, there's I, I just get the feel I just get the feeling, right? Morgan Creek, who I think about the same time put out that questionable Robin Hood movie with Kevin Costner, um, <laughs> who is <a>, uh <laughs> the, the great comedian, um Eddie Hazard has commented on before. It's quite interesting the American player. Where's the Maid Morion? Um so you know what I mean? Uh so like that with Morgan Freeman as well, who is doing a could maybe see dubious African accent. Um and yeah it altogether it's it's a weird little movie which made a lot of money because of Brian Adams. And um they they behind that, and then they're like, "Yeah, let's do this little monster movie with that guy from Hellraiser, uh, but let's let's try and keep it clean, and let's not make it in any way resemble a story where the the villains of the movie are humans, because that doesn't sound right. Not in '90s America, god damn it." <laughs>
2: I just see Clive Barker walking into the studio the same way James Whale walked into the studio Universal years before with Frankenstein. Yeah. It is the exact same fucking thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird how it's weird how like even even eighty years or seventy years will not change much in Hollywood. <laughs> it's still kind of the same place. But yeah. You never know. You never listen. Listen, had it not had its dubious start, I think Nightbreed could have went one or two ways. And I know that I'm doing this before we even start talking about the movie. This is what happens in a world where Nightbreed goes according to plan for Clyde Barker, right? Um, it goes according to plan for Clyde Barker and thus gets a sequel, an inferior sequel that Barker might not actually work on at all, um, and then maybe spawns, I don't know, another couple of sequels after that, maybe one set in space, maybe one with ninja Cenobites, and (laughs) maybe one where maybe one where Dr. Decker himself is replaced by a character who, well, an actor who's clearly more rotund, um, and can't really get that mask on, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, you're just to get a mask on. Right, so that might happen. Or the alternative is that this movie gets made the way that he wanted it to get made. It doesn't get a sequel though. Um, and thus all the rumours that fly around about an incomplete version of this film don't really spur things on out with a minor cult status for the movie. And as such, people lose interest after about 10 years. There's a lot of reasons why Nightbreed is spoken about as highly as it is now. And that's not just for the fact that it is actually a really fucking good film. It's all that shit that happened in the background. All the drama behind the production of this has fueled stories and speculation right up to 2014 when they released the director's cut. And even then, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough for everyone because it wasn't the Cabal cut, which was only released last year through Clyde Barker's own website. So... um Like I say, there are there are reasons this movie is still talked about as much, and most of it is to do with not the movie itself; it's the drama that surrounds it.
3: Yeah, I think that's probably true. I I, yeah, you're right. Like if this movie had been released and and kind of, you know, it's the uh, forbidden fruit kind of thing. Like Mm -hmm. the the director's cut of uh, Nightbreed had long been rumored about. And I think that's what kept the movie alive in a lot of ways, was because it always felt like it was two thirds of a really great movie. Yeah, that had been you know thrown into a blender and and chopped up. And yeah, I mean, I it's amazing that we live in a in a world where you know twenty five years on. Clive Barker can kind of return to the project with the help of a lot of fans and archivists and stuff like that and you know basically say no, 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 here's the thing that I meant yeah and yeah. and that's really cool and um, you know, I think the the film in particular, I mean the the book as well, I mean, if you open the pages that aren't stuck together, uh, <laughs> that the movie does a fantastic job of, of speaking to sort of the monster kid in in a lot of horror fans that mm-hmm. it, the idea of going to Midian and, and living among the monsters and living forever in darkness, you know, it, it's the same kind of appeal that, you know, va- gothic vampire stories have, but this one's more fun because it has sexy porcupine ladies.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> no Howie Mandel like little monsters.
0: Ugh, Yeah. <laughs> What's that for? I like Little Monsters. Granted I've not seen it since the eighties, so I don't know if that shit holds up, but I liked it then. <laughs>
3: yeah, I don't think it really does.
1: <laughs> um yeah, I think they found fifteen to seventeen hours of extra footage. <laughs> oh dear. And uh because, uh, at one point, I watched the commentary. Uh, I don't know if any of you did. Yeah, I've seen, well, not for this particular viewing, but I have seen it before. Okay, so the uh, it's Barker and the guy that helped him um, put it all together. At least on the one that I've got. Yes, that's and, right. Yeah. Uh, so much of the commentary is the talking about the project of putting it together. Uh, I found part of it. I I found a little hard to listen to. I think, if I remember correctly, Uh, has Clive Barker had like throat cancer or something before? Yeah.
0: Okay. Yep. Yep. Well, he's a. There's no way to say this without it It sounding like an innuendo. Um, he's a big cigar smoker. Um. Mm. Uh, if you know what I mean, uh, which is actually he smokes a lot of cigars. Um, and I think he did have that. Plus, he has some a muscular disease as well. I think it's why he's kind of ramped back a lot yeah, of his appearances yeah. at, at things. Um, and it's why, like, if you look at even his introduction to the movie and there he, he looks very tense, he's sitting at a very weird angle. I want to say he's got the same kind of muscular disease that Mick Marsh from Motley Crew has. Uh, but I might be wrong on that one, but I think it's the same sort of thing that he's got, and he's had that for years, and that's been deteriorating. Um, so, yeah, I, I would agree. You don't get much in the way of story about what you're seeing on the screen. The majority of what you hear in the commentary is the painstaking process they went in to bring it back, which to me is clearly where Barker's interest is. Bark, it was, like, this is the... He's talked about his movie many, many times, many, many interviews, and most of it has been the hassle and the lack of fun that he had trying to argue after the fact um, the final cut of the movie. Um, and that kind of put a sour taste in his mouth. Uh, we covered this on podcast Under the Stairs recently. I think there are very few directors that I genuinely think had they just been treated a bit better, or if they'd been a bit more open to change in the Hollywood paradigm um than Clyde Barker in terms of potentially having a very fruitful horror career. I think basically because it was his source material, he was so so attached to it. And there is there is maybe uh, a a statement there about authors adapting their own works uh, to an extent, you know, the, the idea of it's their vision not only on page. What the, one of the reasons that a lot of adaptations work so well on the screen, even when they're removed from the novel, is the fact that it's someone else's view of the movie that you're seeing, uh, So it's so, someone else's view of the source material that you're seeing, and there's a disconnect there, which I think is always a healthy thing. I don't really want to see the, you know, full interpretation of a book on screen because I've already read the book, so mm-hmm. what's the point? The, the, the recent memory brings up the midnight showing of the Da Vinci Code. Don't know why I went to it. Um, but I went to it anyway and then realised that, yeah, it was just basically the book, which isn't a great book. Um, and the only thing that that book's got going for it is the surprise reveal of who's behind it. And when you have read the book and you know what that is and you go and see the movie, that movie has nothing going for it at all. Not even Tom Hanks. I'm not a big Tom Hanks fan either. Um, so, yeah, that's, you know, it's the same with this sort of thing where you're just trying to make what you have to put on the screen. I think there are difficulties there. And I think sometimes removing yourself from it or giving it away to someone else um, to do the work tends to work better in the long run. But Barker had issues with hellraiser not as many and then he come off that to stephen king saying he was one of the the, the best authors you know ready to almost hand the baton over to him and um, to take this new generation of horror writers he had critical acclaim for hellraiser you know critics saying that, you know it was either a grubby horrible little film which every horror director really wants on their poster um, and <laughs> you know like a, an upset review from siskel and ebert Or on the flip side of that, you know, your horror peers seeing something very similar. It's a great movie. It's wonderful, etc., etc. So he come off that. Did this movie started to find that maybe people weren't prepared to give him as much wiggle room as he really wanted? Um, And then you know goes on to do Lords of Illusion, um, which is another movie that ends up getting a bit butchered and not really being his. His kind of view, and because it doesn't do well, he just walks away from it altogether, uh, which is a shame. Um, had he only had he only embraced Rawhead Rex earlier, uh, I think the world yeah. would be a different place. Yeah, I mean, it
3: has as much cock in it as you would expect <laughs> from any self-respecting Clive Barker production.
0: <laughs> I, love that. I love that. One of my favourite things. We're going off tangent, which will happen when you have Duncan and Bo on your show. Um, there, there will like we be time. Tang-
2: go on tangents all the time.
0: Well, my favourite thing about Rawhead Rex is if you've actually read Rawhead Rex, it is a giant cock. That's what the monster is. It's a giant walking penis, um, and then the piss slip Sorry, I have no nice way of saying that. Um, that's where the teeth are. Um, And I love this idea of originally when it was getting discussed about how they were going to design the creature and that was handed over. The effects guy was like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm early in my career. There's no way I'm getting known as the giant dick guy. That ain't happening. And instead, what you get is a giant cock eyed guar extra um, (laughs) who amazingly will look at the screen loads and just go, which makes me. Makes me hell so much, and without that movie, see this is a circle of life, right? Without that, right? Without that movie being so important to to uh, Clyde Barker, you would have never got Hellraiser, because that's the only reason he did Hellraiser, It's because he did the Stephen King thing, you know, of of, of coming out and going, you know, a lot of people have tried to make my movie, and I thought I'd be better doing myself.
4: The video kids. <laughs>
0: I'm going to scare the cock off of you. <laughs> Except I would argue, much to Bo's dismay, one of those guys did it really, really well, and the other one was high on cocaine.
3: Hey, 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 let's take it easy on Clive Barker for a second. We're talking about him
0: for the <laughs> I said high on cocaine, not high on cocaine. Well, there's a difference there. There is a difference. <laughs>
1: But yeah, I I found myself concerned for his health when I was listening to the commentary. So I would switch it off. Uh yeah, routinely. It's was like, man, I hope he's okay.
3: Well, yeah, that's did- why uh, that's why I can't watch uh Harrison <laughs> Ford movies anymore.
0: Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy. <bull. Ugh. laughs> he's he's not that. He was fine in Blade Runner. Right, but he
3: for the most part but I saw that uh, Force Awakens, and that movie made me real sad.
0: I'm like, kind of argue that
3: every every time you see him run, you're just like, oh geez, sit down before you fall down, old man.
0: <laughs> well, that's what happened on set. He broke a bone on set, didn't he? he broke a bone by walking at their door. Yeah, and,
3: and God forbid they do another one of those Indiana Jones movies. He's gonna end up in
0: traction. <laughs> oh no right
3: (laughs) it ain't the years it's the mileage Uh. he
1: finally got tenure and he sends uh, one of his adjunct professors to do all the heavy lifting
0: See, I, I would watch that movie. I would they watch that much movie. bring much back, Is that what you're Get Sh- Shia L- the
3: beef back in, in the saddle?
0: Oh, let's never get, let's never get, like, honestly. See the moment. Like, I, I, occasionally I am known to make noises in the cinema of disapproval. Small phrases may tumble at my mouth during a movie at the theatre or cinema uh, when I am unpleased at what's happening on the screen. Phrases may include such as don't do that. That's a really bad idea. And my personal favourite one, oh, fuck off. Right? Which which does tumble out. It tumbled out last night when I went to see the new movie By The Rock. Um, tumbled out about three or four times during the viewing of that movie. Um, <laughs> but when we went to see fucking Kingdom of the Crystal or whatever the name of that fucking movie was, when Labeef picks up the hat at the end of the movie and it starts going, do, 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 do. Yep, uh, that was maybe the 17th, oh, fuck off, that came out of my mouth. But that one was with a bit more venom, a bit more sting, because I thought, if you pass it off to this cock nugget, I am going to be fucking furious. But then, after the fact, I was like, listen, send Duncan, let's hand it off to a new generation. Very much like, Bo, do I want to see a 70-year-old Harrison Ford Trying to, part of me does, because more of curiosity and laughter, but I want to see him try to use a whip uh, as some sort of weird fucking zipline fucking trapeze act. No, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. So give it to LaBouf. He will take the franchise forward in his kind of sassy, greaser-looking way. And they didn't give me that movie. They did not give me that movie. Um It's almost as if that movie didn't do well or something.
1: I know I didn't watch it.
0: You've never seen it?
1: Nope.
0: Oh, you need to rectify that. No, 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 you're the real winner here, Darren. (laughs) No, no, I
2: passed on it, too.
0: Oh, (laughs) why are we not talking about that movie? Uh Fuck fuck (laughs) night breathing Cabal, let's get on the fucking Crystal
1: Skull. Speaking of skulls, Mm -hmm. uh, and Scotland, uh, I heard that Narcisse was a Scottish actor, but when I would hear him talk, he sounded more British to me.
0: Well, yeah, I wouldn't surprise me. The Scots are not really known for doing great accents. <laughs> uh, we have a few actors that are particularly good at them. Uh, exhibit A, Sean Connery, obviously. Uh, exhibit B, Dougree <laughs> Scott. And Exhibit C, uh, Gerard Butler. All phenomenal actors with a wide range of accents <laughs> uh, n- none of which are scottish at all uh no like like uh, yeah for the most part scottish actors don't handle accents particularly well um so you get unless you're someone like McEvoy McEvoy's real good at it um but yeah that that would not surprise me uh, back back at this time period as well clive barker still you know he's come out that whole theater thing uh and all the rest over here. A lot of friends, that's ostensibly where he met Doug Bradley, um, was was from, you know, his, his time in England doing things at theatre. Um, so, yeah, you get a lot of these guys that come over and get involved with those. So I think a lot of the, I think quite a few of the cast here are people that he already knew. So they weren't exactly extensively casting, if you know what I mean. It was more like, right, we need someone that can put on this porcupine Sort of, you know, <laughs> bodysuit. Oh, I know someone. She played Mildred and fucking Henry the Um, the made-up fucking next chapter of Shakespeare. I don't know. No, uh, a, but, large,
2: a large portion of them did know each other from theatre work.
0: Yeah. And that's. that makes sense. If you're going to have a collective group of people dressed up in monsters outfits, all kind of banding around and doing weird, almost kind of tribal dances and stuff like that, ideally you want to go to a theatre trip to do that I mean that to me seems sensible so so yeah so uh, yes that would not surprise me about the accent but there are I think there's one or two people overdubbed in this movie uh, which was the bane of of uh, Clive Barker's work up until this point once again see uh, Hellraiser uh, Exhibit A Frank who does not talk like that at all come to daddy he doesn't his voice isn't as deep as that in real life he he was a bit more he was a bit more English. But you don't want it to be an English movie, so we cover that up.
3: Yeah, you want people to watch it, you know.
0: <laughs> no disagreeing there, bro. I'm no fan
1: of the English, my friend. No fan. Um so yeah. Yeah, Bias- know see- Simon Simon Bamford who played Ona Onaka, if I'm saying that correctly, he he and Bradley knew each other from theater.
0: Yeah, yeah, but a lot a lot of them will. But he- I, I I love the I love the Nightbreed. I think the Nightbreed are uh, just in general when they're on screen, like like let's be honest, right? Some of the some of the creature effects really really good. Some of them kind of shit. <laughs> like some of them, some of them kind of look like time and money were not no object, were kind of an object and an obstruction, and yeah. they were told, "Yeah, these look great. Now let's hurry up with this one." Uh, it's kind of not fit, we'll just sell a tape; it. it'll be fine. I, I don't know that paper mache; it'll be cool, um, and then just like throw some red paint on them, and there we go, ha! You know, night breed. Uh, so yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, I didn't know until this watch that um, Neil Gaiman was in the crowd when uh, Laurie was singing Johnny... Was Johnny Get Angry?
0: Did they yeah. hate Neil Ga- What What did Neil Gaiman do to have to sit through that? Because I'll be honest, I skipped that rendition this time.
1: <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> they they tried to pack it. It was packed with friends and family. Her sister was there. They had everybody in one corner so they could get the Shot that looked like a full crowd because I was shot at a bar. It's
3: not a good. Song. Well, also, yeah, it's not a good song at all. It, it's it is right up there with uh, James' song from Twin Peaks in terms of <laughs> lyrical sophistication.
0: How, how does that song go? For?
5: Just you <laughs> and I.
0: Then I uh, have roast. <laughs> Leads <laughs> a tear to my eye, uh, and a yeah. lump to my treasures. <laughs> uh,
3: but but uh, uh, also a fun cameo in this movie, uh, John Skip and Craig Spector, two writers I, I, I enjoyed quite a bit from this era, are a couple of the uh, dudes murdered in the hotel room.
0: Ah, I did not know that. hmm Bull dropping some
3: hot takes for y'all. Trump cracking eggs of knowledge up in here. Eggs of
0: knowledge being cracked. <laughs> you, you are my hype man at this point. I, yeah, literally, that's that's what I'm doing, bro. This is my new role. I've decided. Um, except I'm not going to do it in the traditional way. I'm I'm going to do it in the making too much emphasis. You know, instead of just emphasizing what you're doing, short, sharp, and punchy, uh, I'm going to elongate it for nice. awkwardness. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, but all right,
3: so when When I think of this movie in fairness uh i to to your point, Duncan, about the dodgy effects at times i this goes back to my original point of there is two thirds of a great movie in this, and I think there are there are problems with the Lori character, even in the the later cuts of the film. Mm-hmm. I don't think it goes far enough in explaining Decker's motivation for setting boone up which is very clear in the book of course as well as laurie's sort of uh uh, her her fidelity to boone i think makes more sense in the book i think that's something in the film that no matter which cut you're watching doesn't necessarily hold together terribly well
0: they just rush it i think i think within the first 10 minutes of this movie He is, you know, he's in the graveyard at Midian, which just seems kind of rushed. You know, I mean, he's been having dreams like we literally are. Like at the beginning, we've got him, like with Decker, Decker's, you've been constantly talking about this place, Midian, and all the rest here, take these drugs. uh, And then he's in a hospital, and then someone's telling him where Midian is. And it turns out Midian's actually just a wee drive along the road. and then he's there, and I'm like, like within fifteen minutes, we are in a graveyard at midian, and I'm just like, we got here really, really quick because there are a good couple of chapters in the book before he's there. Not a huge amount because the book itself is, you know, not a big book um, at all. You can skip right through it in an afternoon, but yeah, I, you know, it, it rushes along too much. So as a result, you don't really get any. Plus the the cuts that they have of it as well. The original cut. Did remove a bit of the Decker stuff, um, which is a shame because he's such a great on-screen villain. He's like one of my favorite of all time on-screen villains, um, and it mostly do it. You know, down to the way that Cronenberg plays him, which is just fucking genius. Whoever come up with that, whatever room that there was where people were discussing who could play Doctor Decker. And Cronenberg's name is mentioned because Cronenberg does not look at all like how Decker is described in the book. Like Decker is like a borderline powerlifter. you know. Very well, but he's a,
3: but kind of fat and paunchy, like the way he's described as being someone who subsists on gin when he's <laughs> yes. not at the office and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. But like, like when when you see when you see Cronenberg, Cronenberg is a bit too clean. Yeah, I mean, he's a. I love it though. I love it because in a world where I want to live sometime in the future, all psychiatrists will look like David Cronenberg, because that's the guy <laughs> you want poking around in your brain. You know what I mean? You want, you want, you want the guy. You want the guy that did scanners. Poking around in your brain, like well, that's that's who I want anyway. Um, that's my dream. Uh, but yeah, like yeah, that's the genius part of that casting is Cronenberg isn't the best actor in the world. Um, hate to hate to break hearts here, but he's not. But what he's really, really, really good at is being cold and calculated, both as a filmmaker and on screen, and that just fits the character perfectly. So we would never get any of his motivation. Like you say, we don't get any real motivation for Laurie at all. I don't know why she's so hung up on him um it's never really we, we' get it's even worse in the in the at least in the book you find out how long they've been together the the fact that they've like had an awkward sexual relationship even though it has been intense only three times but ultimately awkward um you get all these details in the book in the in the movie like. I can see why he ran away. I have heard her sing. She's not a good singer. <laughs> you know <what> I, mean? <laughs> I, I, I too might reach for an imaginary gun in my pocket to get shot to death. You know what I mean? Rather than listen to that again. On the promise, she didn't sing at my funeral. And or she did sing at my funeral. And everyone was there and had to listen to it. Um, like, oh my I God. Saw-
1: She's going to play <laughs> a gig like every weekend. And... We're going to have to go out for at least a year before I can say I don't want to go. Yeah. <laughs> We've all been there.
0: We've all been there. We've all been in a relationship where your your beloved other half doesn't want to take part in the things that you do. Uh, and at first, there's niceties behind it. You know, they're busy. You know, they'll get around to or Oh, they did listen to it, but you weren't there when they did. And don't <laughs> ask them any questions because they can't answer them. Uh, and then you give that a year and then they're just like, I'm not interested. I don't really want to listen to it. Uh, and this is not me being bitter about the fact that my wife has never listened to any episode of the podcast under the stairs. <laughs> Ever. Almost five years. Never, never, never one. Um, but yeah, like, so like, to, to me, like, I, I'm i 100% with Bo. It is rushed at such a pace and that, that is problematic. It is, it's very problematic. You start stripping out those, those kind of issues and you're in a, a far more comfortable feeling movie, I think. Um, but to, to, to kind of, once again, kind of push back into how amazing Dr. Decker is. Our introduction to that character as, you know, his, his villainous self is, you know, murdering a family and this fucking phenomenal vision of him walking past the set of stairs with a kid at the top of him, scared shitless, and I'm stopping and turning around and then starting to walk up the stairs. And that, to me, that is how you introduce a fucking slasher villain in your movie. Like, straight away, I'm like, this guy is pure evil. Um, And I think he he plays it wonderfully. I think, yeah. So much love for Decker. He's my favorite character.
3: Yeah, (laughs) and that's another problem with this movie, before we start talking about how, how cool it is. The other big problem I have with it is that the most interesting character, by far, is the villain. I don't think Craig Sheffer is actually all that great in this. And okay, he's fine. Yeah. You know, he's not, he's not terrible or anything. I don't, I don't mean to suggest that. It's just when you put him up against this, you know, hospital antiseptic performance from David Cronenberg. Who manages to be one of the creepiest villains in any movie I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got, you know, old meat and potatoes Craig
0: Sheffer <laughs> trying to hold the movie down. Which is his new is that meat and potatoes Craig Sheffer is how he goes on Tinder. Uh...
3: <laughs> I would think I would think if I were a casting director and I was like, hey, I need a guy, I mean at the time, he's probably what in his fifties at this point. Uh, he's mm-hmm. actually like fifty-eight at this point. Um, he's almost oh yeah, fucker, right? And but if I were like, hey, I need a, a good old-fashioned meat and potatoes, fifty-year, fifty-eight-year-old actor. <laughs> someone better say, let me call Craig Sheffer. <laughs> <laughs> if if on the other hand, I'm like, I need someone who can who can sound very smart and clinical and also make me poop my pants, mm-hmm. they better say, hey, uh, I think I've got David Cronenberg's number. <laughs> at which
0: point I would be like, don't you dare give that to Duncan. <laughs> 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 All right, alternative casting then, Bo. Who would you have as Boone in here? Like, I'd, For some reason, whenever I watch this movie, I think Billy Zane at this time period would have been perfect as Boone. Yeah, as- I
3: think... Yeah, he would have been all right. Um, if you wanted to go even a little bit older, I wouldn't mind like a Mickey Rourke or something. Oh, somebody, nice. Somebody that can pull off that sort of troubled, because that's a whole deal with Boone, right, is that he, yeah. he's psychologically troubled and then gets killed for his troubles after, after being convinced he was a murderer. And I think that... I think Craig Sheffer needs to be a little more intense in this. And yeah. also yeah. when he becomes... You know, later cabal, but you know, at first, just when he becomes Nightbreed, uh, I just it it feels a little non-threatening to me. It's a it, it's a lot. It almost feels like he belongs in the Nightbreed television movie. Yeah, <laughs> and you need an honest to goodness movie star. Um, and again, not to detract from Craig Sheffer himself, I don't, I don't think he's a bad actor or anything. I just think for this role, you need someone that can pull off. A little bit sexier, a little bit dangerous, a little bit troubled, and then towards the end of the film,
0: being really menacing. Yeah. And, M- and Mickey Rourke coming off something like Angel Heart had sure. a lot of that, you know what I mean? So that would have been... Plus, Mickey Rourke now kind of looks like a transformed Nightbreed. <laughs> yeah, I think Mickey Rourke is for sure Nightbreed. He was transformed <laughs> <laughs> he,
3: he, he, he as
2: some creature.
3: Yeah, he, he he had his little tête-à-tête with Baphomet. <laughs> who you know, came Nightbreed juice all over him, and so, uh, that's a Bukaki I don't want to see. Um, so, uh... Makes one of us. I want to see that movie right now.
2: Nightbreed juice.
3: Uh huh. <laughs>
0: Oh dear.
3: would it, would would the porn be called cockbreed? Is that where oh, we would go? Oh, cockbreed!
1: Yeah, or night breeders, or night, night breeders seed. is good. Night, night seed. There you night go, ladies <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Winner winner chicken dinner
0: right there. Nightseed. trademark.
2: Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> want well, to see that movie then?
3: Yeah, if you want to become Nightseed, I've got to <laughs> bite you. Right on the taint. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. What, uh, uh, what's your name? My name is Narcissus Right, right. Yep.
1: Dr. Dicker.
3: Yeah. Uh-huh, sure. <laughs> Horny Hor- would be his girlfriend instead of Loria <laughs> Yeah.
0: That, totally means, we, that that line, that means your meat for the beast would be something completely different in this movie. You almost don't have to change a word of the script. Yeah, <laughs> literally, just keep Pretty it. Pretty much. Yeah. We could we could reinsert murder hard, though. That'd be good. Yeah. He's got a dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, oh, my God. He's just wearing the trench coat, but nothing else like an old-fashioned streaker. He's like, ah. Yeah. Yeah,
3: that'd be amazing. <laughs> and all you've got to do is make the mask just a touch more leather.
0: Yes,
5: just, just
0: kind of like um, Machine from uh, 8mm, the yes uh, Nick Cle- Nick Cage movie. Yeah, just yeah, like that Nick. classic. Yes, I love that movie.
2: <laughs> it's a guilty pleasure. <laughs> it's,
0: it's really fucking good, and I don't know why.
2: <laughs> I, know. I know. What is
3: the the one with George C. Scott uh, where his daughter is in in the the porn films? you know what I'm talking about? There's oh, like the classic yeah. shot of him watching the film and oh, reacting no. to it. And I can oh, never remember the name of that movie.
0: Fuck. Someone get on that someone that can type, I'm in the dark room right now, I can't see. Shop, <laughs> <Job> Cronenberg. <laughs> Alright.
1: What are you doing in the dark room, Duncan? Um, you don't wanna know
0: <laughs> <laughs> Nightseeding all over the place. Yeah. Well, I'll wager. Yeah. Make it make it a sequel to Nightseed. <laughs> Second part of the trilogy night see two uh,
3: wish cut the <laughs>
2: hardcore
3: <laughs> yep, 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 hardcore that's it
0: <laughs> oh my God,, oh. so stuff that Natebreed does well, uh-huh. <laughs>
3: now that yeah now that i've kind of shit all over it let's get back to talking about how awesome david cronenberg is in this thing
0: the Holy whole movie shit. the whole movie david cronenberg is like every scene even where he's wearing the mask he steals the fucking show
3: uh-huh oh when he is when he's got the uh the gas station dude tied up with christmas lights <laughs> Oh <laughs> yeah. And it is, you know, pumping him for information like
0: you do in oh, night scene. Oh nice. Uh, <laughs> and uh
3: but but when he like just how calm he is in the face of someone suffering at his hands, it's almost like he isn't even enjoying it. Not in the way that Deckard does in the book, because you know, when asked, you know, why are you doing this? Deckard actually says, because you were home. No, he says, um, <laughs> sorry, I saw that, <laughs> that Stranger sequel. It's really chapped my ass a little bit. Um, No, it, uh, when he's asked in the book why he does it, and he just says, well, because I like it. Yeah. And there, there seems to be something more animal about, you know, Mr. Button Eyes. Uh, button face whatever he's called in the book and (laughs) mr chuckle
0: teeth Bull, mr chuckle all right mr
3: chuckle teeth in the book as opposed to the film where cronenberg plays it just because i think you're right that he he's not a great actor (laughs) he's not but but he fits in this niche of i don't need you to show emotion at all yeah and he is perfect at that
0: yeah, he's, he's, he's wonderful and he's absolutely the MVP of this movie by a country mile. Um, and that's the one thing I will say instantly about the director's cut that makes it, you know, superior to the original theatrical cut is that you get a lot more Cronenberg. You know, his, his, his scenes are extended out. I prefer the, I actually kind of prefer the, the ending in the director's cut because of the you know we're we're, we're not going to do the thing that you because like originally in the theatrical cut the, the the whole plan was for a series of movies and and all the rest so they had to do it in such a way to spin it out that it looked like there was going to be a sequel which never happened um, and in the director's cut they put more a fine line on the end and kind of close off a little bit and that to me works it a bit better you know i, I like the idea of because the beauty of this movie is that in any scenario at all, Decker is nightbreed. You know what I mean? He could be if he wanted to, because he's the, he's the, you know, they can smell blood on him all the rest. He's taking a life. That's what almost ingratiates yourself into their, their people. So he could be it as Boone that probably shouldn't be there out with the fact that he is the prophecy. Um, you know, he is Cabal. So the, and that's what I always loved about this movie is that you'll, know, they are on some level some of them are quite sympathetic some of them are just plain. pelican is not a nice guy you know what i mean at all it's like constantly wanting to eat people which you know is not the best quality to having a friend unless you're doing competitive eating then you know then he's the guy you want with him you know oh look they're, they're putting down a tray of hot dogs they're meat for the beast <laughs> Go for it, Pelican. You know I mean? Like literally, he's he's too he's too hostile, um, all the times, fucking angry all the time. and um, but most of them are reasonable enough, um, and that they've been there for a long time, and they just resigned themselves at the fact that they have to live away and all the rest. But they're, you know, the the pool of people that they're looking for to make the cut no pun intended, uh, would be someone like a Dr. Decker, which is... The kind of irony of the situation is Dr. Decker is probably the perfect candidate for their little camp, um, but he doesn't want it. He wants to destroy it and everyone else, um, which is kind of amazing. Like, the way he says... The way he plays everyone in this movie, like a fucking well-tuned fiddle, to not only set up Boone to take the fall... But then to set up Boone to die and then when he finds that Boone might still be alive to set the police up um in such a way that they will bring war uh directly to this, you know, this this civil this ancient civilization uh, underneath our you know a graveyard. Like he plays everything to a T and then you get that just that great. Idea of when anarchy is fully in swing, the war, the battle is going on. That's when he pulls out the fucking mask and puts it on. I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> oh my God, yes. Like, it's just so fucked up. It's just so fucked up and awesome. And yeah, like to me, like you replace that character with another actor, even a, even a better actor, you replace that at all. My interest in the movie wanes slightly. I think it's is genius and I don't know how I still don't know how that conversation come up and and one day I will find out uh, I don't understand how David Cronenberg ended up in this movie because I wasn't wasn't fully aware that him and Clive Barker knew each other they must have bumped into right. each other I, somewhere socially I, but. I would imagine that at some point
3: Cronenberg saw Hellraiser yeah. because that's really up his alley in terms of the you know sort of the marriage of pleasure and pain and sex and horror and that kind of thing and I would imagine, and and probably read some of Cronenberg as well, and or read some of uh Clive Barker as well. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if it was sort of a, you know, Cronenberg saying, "Hey, I really like your work. I I think you have a lot of interesting ideas." And Clive Barker saying,
0: "Would you please be in my movie?" <laughs> he didn't talk like that yeah. back then. Sorry. Bad man. Um because like like because like you gotta think Cronenberg at this point has at the time this movie was made, so this would have been shot in 1989, is just coming off Dead Ringers. Which is a fucking really good movie.
4: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: huge underrated yeah. movie, and then like right after doing this, swings into doing naked lunch. He as wrote, you do cuz yeah. you, you're David you're you're David Cronenberg so you you mean you're you're like one minute you're doing dead ringers next minute you're doing naked lunch in between you're squeezing in the doctor Decker performance lol um
1: all in a day's
2: work
0: all in a day's work for the, this is why he's in my basement
1: he did he did a lot of the script for naked lunch uh, during his breaks yeah
0: yeah yeah that's just a uh, Guy, I loved it. Can we, can we talk about more Cronenberg?
3: More right. I mean, could you just imagine? <laughs> Clive Barker's is like, hey, uh, we, you know, we need you on set. And Cronenberg <laughs> <laughs> no, no. is just like, hang on. I have to write something genius real quick. Yeah. <laughs> okay, can you, Clive, I'm ready now.
0: I need to have another phone call with my my. Personal, dear friend, uh, Burrows, and uh, you know, discuss uh, naked lunch, which I'm doing, by the way. Uh, the movie that they all said could not be done will be done by this guy here. <laughs> right. I'll but tell i you, Don't gloat. Um, speaking
3: of speaking of naked lunch, though, I'll tell you who could give Cronenberg a run for his money in the role of uh, Deckard, Peter Weller. Oh yeah, would would be pretty good yeah. in that role as well.
0: Yeah, That's agreed. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. He's really, really, really good. Like back then, he was really, really good. Nowadays, he's uh. Uh, he's fine. He just doesn't give a shit anymore. Yeah, you know? I
4: mean,
3: he's look. The guy's Buckaroo Banzai. He can do whatever he wants. Uh, yeah,
0: for the yeah that gives you a free pass to anything for for eternity. I
3: yeah. know
0: some people are going. He was Robocop. No, no, no. Shush, shut up. Sit down. Be quiet. Buckaroo Banzai. That's all you need. Uh huh. Uh
3: And of unknown origin, where he fights rats
0: oh nice
3: have you have you ever seen that
0: no but it does not surprise me that you've seen that movie, Bo. that literally i could hear you smiling when you mentioned the name um yeah i mean hey i i'm not gonna deny my love
3: for movies uh where there are animals what eat people that is uh that that is pretty much the only thing that makes me happy anymore
0: (laughs) (laughs) food of the gods Bo. Foot of the gods.
3: It's, I mean, that
0: giant ass chicken ain't no joke. It's a massive cock bull. It's a massive it is, cock. It's a big
3: cock. But all right, but all right. So uh, Cronenberg's performances, as deckered aside, which you really can't talk about enough, quite frankly, it's it's that good. But aside from that, I think the root of what makes this movie work for horror fans is, is sort of what we were talking about earlier. Which is it is the monsters as the good guys, and I, I think that most horror fans and, and, and uh, folks of that stripe, uh, folks who are a little a little morbid in their uh, in their tastes, that um, those those folks want to be citizens of Midian. And finally, here's a movie that is saying, yes, the real the real monsters in this film are people which isn't revolutionary but i think it does a good job of of portraying this culture and there's this whole mythology and religion um that that you know centers around the night breed and and uh the this underground world of midian and all that stuff and that is it, you know, I, I, I again it's done better in the book because pretty much everything is with the exception of the Deckard character. I would argue that Deckard is scarier in the movie than he is in the book. Yeah, uh, it's not a bad portrayal or anything, it's just that he's much more like the fact that the mask is talking to him from his briefcase and stuff. And it's like, yeah, yeah, all that works. And I, I'm kind of glad they didn't do any of that for the movie and they just let Cronenberg be Cronenberg, mm-hmm. but in terms of the culture of Midian and you know seeing the like Charles Hayde who Duncan and I last talked about in Altered States oh uh, yes and showing up in this which it's funny because I watched this about two days after watching Altered States and there's such different performances where he's just such a redneck in this <laughs> uh, just like well, what is it? Monsters let's kill them all you know <laughs> uh any chance we can maybe slip in a case of pbrs in the back of the, mm. the squad car i think we got ourselves a weekend gents. get but, off my lawn yeah
0: uh it's a massive scene of them talking to an empty chair
5: can you be more
3: intolerant
0: that's <laughs> clive barker um such a t- i don't even know what that voice is now
3: <laughs> i it's it's just me making fun of the the poor guy's infirmity is really all yeah. it is. It's a I, weakness. I was, in my own
0: you know, when he hears about how badly you're mocking him, he will cry himself to sleep on the millions of dollars his bed is made out of. Sure, <laughs> yeah. 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 right. He's just gonna be like,
3: so who made the better movies, dickhead <laughs> I'm gonna night seed all over your face.
0: <laughs> yep. Just gonna send you some of that night seed to the
3: post. <laughs> and he probably has enough juice at this point—no pun intended—to uh, just fire that right through the internet. You know, uh, he's got his own night night seed conduits uh, from uh, his home, uh, but uh, <laughs> but to the point that it, it 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 as a as a horror fan and and someone who who has been, you know, you you have those uncomfortable conversations with people where they're like did you see Howard's end? And you're like, no, but have you seen Friday the 13th Four? that movie rocks mm-hmm. um, that this is the movie for the person that's going to see a hellraiser and, and going to see the thing and the howling and stuff like that, as opposed to, um, you know, the, the more mainstream films. Yeah. And, and yeah. I- and I think that it's, it's Barker in many ways, just sort of laying it out saying, you know these are my people it's a it's the creatures of media and the you know as uh jeff bridges put it in the fisher king the botched and the bungled you know the ones who are uh, have to hide from the daylight because it'll in some cases kill them but they're the the weirdos they're the the freaks and i think that both barker and myself and a lot of other people when you watch the movie nightbreed you recognize yourself in in some of those characters and Uh, particularly something like uh, what's his name, Onako, something like that. Um, that he seems to be this very like sweet guy, Mm -hmm. uh, who wouldn't who wouldn't hurt a fly, and (laughs) and has has a you know, in fairness, a dog that's a little too small to be taken seriously, but oh. (laughs) <laughs> but but is seems to be this very helpful friendly guy and when he gets it spoilers for a 28 year old movie um that when he gets it you, that's the point where as a viewer you know kind of my heart breaks a little bit because he, he is of all the characters in midian pr- perhaps the most innocent he's weak. seemingly innocent <laughs> he's weak he's uh,
0: he have to die boy. He's got a dog
4: <laughs> use it.
0: Yep. Very well put, Bo. Very well put. <laughs>
4: Sailors.
1: Isn't that what uh uh Narciss says when he's playing with his tattoos and making him feel uncomfortable?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: I like Narcissus because he's a guy that you know swings both ways and is just unashamed of it. It's just like, so who's down to who's down to get a little nightseed on him? Nar- <laughs> Narciss is open for business.
0: Yeah, DTF. If you know what I mean. Yeah.
3: DTFN. <laughs> down to fuck Nightbreed.
0: Nice, <laughs> baseball, Nice. Bull is still. He's
1: got his own Word car. Tool.
0: Yeah, wordsmith. <laughs> Which is uh, unfortunately Bose Tinder nickname. It's not getting many hits.
4: <laughs>
0: Change that. I keep telling you, wordsmith. It's not going to get you anywhere.
3: <laughs> yeah, But Cocksmith seems like I'm just bragging.
5: <laughs>
3: <laughs> not that it's untrue. Just, just you know, a little, a little boastful.
0: Yeah. So you. Regularly heat it in a, a large killing oven, slam it down on an anvil, and then beat it within an inch of his life with a mallet. That's <laughs> right. Sticking it in cold water. How do you do it? <laughs> yeah, that's right, Duncan. How do you masturbate? Um, All right. I'm yeah, looking so... to have a good time, man. <laughs> You're looking for nothing but a good
3: ah. The only place I have tattoos is my is my dick.
1: Yep.
0: Because
3: I was like <laughs> everywhere else just doesn't hurt enough.
1: Does it say <laughs> all aboard like uh Kelsey Grammers and Down Periscope?
0: Oh well, maybe.
1: No, it,
3: I actually got uh John three sixteen wraps <laughs> rap, around, you know.
0: I I have a similar tattoo except mine's is Austin three sixteen. Frost on cold fans out there because I just whooped your ass, which is kind of what it does. <laughs> Whips ass. Good
3: Lord.
0: Oh, what's happening here? I don't approve of any of this conversation. I told you Bo Ransdell would bring it back down to the gutter. Gutter Ransdell, that's what they call him.
1: <laughs> we are devolving. Vanessa, save us
2: really you expect me to save you (laughs) from the gutter you obviously
1: well Um, add a female perspective from the gutter how about that
2: um so no actually i was just going to change the subject uh darren did you have anything to add before i will go on my rant about Lori?
1: no (laughs) please go ahead
2: (laughs) no you go ahead first
1: what did i have to add
2: well, we we've uh, we we've, we've heard some from Duncan. We've heard some from Bo. Please add, but
1: oh, some do spots. I have something to add about Laurie?
2: No, about the movie in general. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying before I go on my rant. <laughs> go ahead.
0: They're coming apart. They're coming apart. It seems Bo's plan has worked. Operation Divide and Conquer. It's a success.
1: <laughs> nah, was just, this movie's a hell of a lot of fun. I um. I dig the, the practical effects and the fucking dedication it took from everybody, especially sexy porcupine lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the chair yeah. every day, four o'clock in the morning. She said that was the hardest part of the whole thing was getting up so early. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, to add to the Cronenberg love fest... As, yeah, he is such a great, terrifying villain that even... I The first time I saw this, I didn't know who David Cronenberg was, but he still scared the fuck out of me. So it was all just <laughs> on his merit in the movie. Vanessa, unload.
2: <laughs> um. So... <clears throat> I had not seen this as much as you guys, and this is my first time reading the book. Uh, I found this, I I enjoyed this movie. I do. But, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's just too sappy for me. <laughs> the whole Laurie Boone romance kind of gets under my skin. Uh, it just, it's not as bad in the book, but I just feel like her character is so much... And I'm not completely sure, I haven't decided yet, if it's like how Anne Bobby played it, how Clive Barker directed her, or how it was written. But again, it the character, it's not as bad in the book. So there's something, I don't know, with the way the movie is done, that she just, <laughs> she's just there to serve a man. She has no other fucking purpose. It, she's not completely the weakest character that she could have been, but it just kind of annoys me, and she it plays too much the damsel in distress. And just this week I was watching it, and darren can tell you i i kind of all of a sudden was like i finished watching the movie oh my god and just <laughs> like let loose a kind of like little spew of just how much i hated the character um uh, I, I don't think i completely hate the character but oh my god she's I got just... a
1: band
0: i said definitely in fairness and fairness and fairness to the character here To an extent and i'm I'm gonna say to an extent she is really the only normal person in the movie if you know what i mean like so everything else that she's dealing with is you know our, our psychotic boyfriend who regardless what you know decker has done to his brain is seriously mentally unstable um You've got Decker, who is like a stone-cold killer. Uh, And then you have, uh, you know, a a bunch of fucking redneck cops who are all trigger-happy and a sea of half-creature, half-human people that live under the ground. I think it's okay to an extent. Not okay from a, you know, necessarily from a a filmic point of view that, like, our only really lead female character in this movie is maybe not necessarily strong. But with the extremes of everyone she's acting around, I don't necessarily know if you can change that in such a way which feels overtly satisfying to the movie. And certainly in the the kind of the different ending they do for the movie, um, she comes out a bit better, um, you know, willing to sacrifice herself to become Nightbreed herself in order to be with the man she loves, which you can look at as being sappy, but you could also look at. It from the, the point of view that she is basically renouncing everything in her life, which is a brave thing to do, and she doesn't have to do it at all. Um, but yeah, it's a difficult character to portray, and I, I kind of think that's one of the elements of the book that could have just been lost, but then I'd be in a position that I would be moaning that there's not enough female representation in the movie, um, Agree. and it's as, as, as a very difficult tightrope to walk. I don't necessarily think Clyde Barker's really great at writing female characters. Anyway, I think he's got better over time, but certainly his earlier works are all very male centric, um, and most of his main characters are male. Um, but you know, he has he has got better over time. I'm a massive fan of the the Aberat books, the the three books mm-hmm. that he's put out as part of his series, and the the kind of central character there. A, what's it? A candy. Or is it Cindy Quackenbush if memory serves I think that's her name um, is definitely a very strong female kind of teenager character I just don't know I think if she was if she, I don't know I, I, I don't I don't know how you write that character I think that's something to struggle with the first thing I would have done in writing that character is remove the song um, and I'm not just wanting to write on the <laughs> song it's really fucking bad and there's no purpose for it being in this this movie at all or just pick a fucking any song pay the your Morgan Creek there's money in this movie pay the license and rights to some other song and have her mime over the top of it and you know dear god um but yeah I, yeah she's she's not a great character at all and she doesn't really add that, that's the bad thing about it is you could really remove her from the movie entirely and it wouldn't be detrimental at all which is not a great thing to be saying about one of your lead actors in a movie but that's really how that role is, it's completely disposable and in the book is handled a lot better but I would argue that even in the book right. the lorry character isn't the selling point of that book either um, she's an inter- she's far more interesting, she's far more three dimensional but she's not a great definitely. character in that book
2: definitely
3: yeah.
2: but in the book, I, the book- I just oh, I'm sorry no, it's just it just stuck with me, and it might have yes. also been my mood this week when I was watching it. But
0: oh no, I'm with you a hundred percent, Vanessa. I think you're you're one hundred percent right on that one. She is easily the most annoying thing on the screen, and I feel sorry for her in that position. In that that character could be so much more. It's just I don't mm-hmm. know how you do that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if Clyde Barker's the sort of guy that could do it either. Which maybe speaks to the limitations of him. You know, direct. If you look at all three of those ones, the closest he gets to a really powerful female character in any of those movies is Julia, and Julia is evil as fuck.
2: Well, so, right, right.
3: But even I would argue the character of Debbie, the the girl Lori meets. Yeah, uh she's a far more interesting character because she at oh, least yeah. has some some depth, Cheryl. like you. Oh Cheryl I'm sorry so there, yeah there's some uh, history to that character and she's kind of beat down but she's still optimistic and wants to fall in love and that you know has the great line about you know anytime I see somebody crying it's got to be men or money you yeah. know I think that's kind of a nice little line and um, like you were saying even in the book she doesn't uh, Lori doesn't come off particularly well although she at least because the book kind of gets handed to her at a certain point after Boone's death where we follow her and we start to at least lay out some kind of motivation for her to go find this place that he died so that she can get some kind of closure or some sort of uh, almost a pilgrimage to, to be at the place where the man that she loved almost despite herself um, uh, you know that he met his end, and and to get some kind of resolution to that relationship in in the light of his death, and that's you know more interesting than what happens in the movie with her. And there's also her connection with uh, uh Babette yeah. in the book that that is kind of interesting, where she becomes part of the prophecy that is being fulfilled. And I don't think any of that translates very well into the film. Uh, no. but yeah I, I right i think yeah. she is the, of all the characters in the film she is the one that is the the least uh it seems to have the least stakes in the movie which is strange because in theory the man she loves has died and come back from the dead and is a weird beast monster <laughs> and in the book she at least gets to fuck him you know yes. like in like, when he's all monstered out and stuff, and it turns out, surprise, surprise, in a Clive Barker novel, she kind of digs it. And, you know, there, there there's something interesting, because you get a sense in the book that there is something wild within her as well. So when we get to the resolution of the film, and she kills herself, you know, in the book, she's already been described as being kind of impulsive, and that she there is something of of the darkness inside her as well.
2: Well, even in the book, she describes herself like she doesn't want to be seen as sweet because mm-hmm. she doesn't see herself as sweet
3: right, right. and but in the yeah, in the movie, uh she is just the girl she next just, door.
2: she's just too fucking sweet. like it just screams like it's a Hollywood sappy thing that yeah, I just it's just not my cup of tea. I <laughs> I'm a cold hearted bastard. It's okay.
0: <laughs> I, don't, I, just don't think, I, I just don't think Clive Barker's really good at that aspect of filmmaking. I don't even think that's necessarily Morgan Creek pushing him to do that. I think when it comes down to it, you can clearly see what Barker loved about the original story and where his heart lies in terms of its adaptation to film. You know, he's he's very much he's he's all in with the monsters. He's all in with Decker, um, and you know, and, and Boone's journey are are the bits that really interest him. So, and the rest, unfortunately, kind of takes a backseat because he has you know very little interest in that part. It doesn't to me feel like you know that it's something that's being forced in that audiences really connect with the love story angle. I, I you know I don't I don't think that's coming from a studio, I think it's more probably just coming from the fact that Barker's not really interested in it. Weirdly enough, like of of the all the Barker stuff um, that he's done, one of the, the very few novels that he has where I'm like, I would totally watch a film uh, adaptation of this source material, out with a damnation game, which to me is still the number one thing that he's done that I want to see uh you know a film of because that's a timeless story and it would be fucking amazing. But
2: absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. But um I I was I remember getting Cold Heart Canyon when it came out and um reading about the first three chapters and putting it down going, This does not feel like the Clive Barker I know and love. Even though it does say it's a Hollywood it's a Hollywood love story, I think is what the, the subtitle was to the, the, the movie, uh, to to the novel. And then, you know, trying to pick it up a, about a year later and getting about halfway through it and just once again not having any interest and kind of putting the book down again, being distracted by all the books. And then returning to like years later again, kind of maybe, maybe circa 2010, 2011, um, and reading that book and getting to the end of it and actually appreciating how well written it is as a kind of weird ghost love story uh with with the barker influences kind of flung in there for, for for good measure to make it just that little bit you know taboo and just that little bit kinky um and it's a great one and i it's kind of shown me that you know he does he has the capability to do that sort of stuff um especially in novels like i say i don't think it's particularly well done in the Cabal novel. It's passable, but it's not like it's not where I'm like, you know, he's really captured the love of these two characters. You know, I, I don't, I don't feel that. I feel it's more the unfinished business angle that she really has, which is propelling her through all the investigation and stuff, as opposed to you know, her having this, you know, uh, you know, will never be quenched love for for the character. But you know, having read Cold Heart Canyon, that's that's what comes out. F- for me, is like I would love to see this ghost love story be made. I think it could be really, really dark and really, really sinister. And why has no one made this yet? Um, and it's probably because the market for it is so niche. Um, well, we're all talking about Laurie being a terrible character. The majority of people that have seen Nightbreed will not like. will start talking about Laurie, and I imagine they'll struggle to even think who that is. <laughs> um, and that that, but that kind of underlines the point that we're making: is she's not a memorable character at all. And that's kinda of criminal because she's one of the main characters in the book and she's supposed to be one of the main characters in this movie. She just becomes she is the the Bill Pullman of like I, I, like Darren knows this. I think <laughs> I think Bill Pullman is instantly forgettable in pretty much every movie he's ever been, to the point that I forget half the movies Bill Pullman's actually been in. Um because he's just he's beige, he's beige as a person um, I still
3: argue The Zero Effect is a great Bill Pullman movie I think it's one
0: great Bill Pullman movie I struggle That's to all think, I hear. To... I struggle to think of many more, for a man who's credited in like 40 odd films or whatever as one, I forgot he was in that um, The Grudge remake altogether Well,
3: but he's in it about five minutes longer than I am
0: <laughs> yeah, but argu- arguably he's the second biggest name in that movie.
3: Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, yeah. at the time, he was probably bigger.
0: Well, I don't know. You know Sarah Michelle Gellar, yeah. I think she was probably the, the t- top villain. Uh, and Bill Pullman's right underneath that. And yeah, I forgot he's totally in that movie. And every time I watch it, I'm surprised when he appears on the screen. I'm like, Bill Pullman's in this movie? And then it All finishes, right. and then a couple of months later, I've forgotten. Uh, but, like, un- unfortunately, the-, the Laurie character in this particular movie is the bill pullman um (laughs) should Bill pullman effect and that no one can remember being in here at all except that fucking song which comes on that's Uh, the one but
3: i think at the end of the day where i come down on nightbreed is i have a lot of affection for the movie as a whole even though it is clearly flawed Mm mm-hmm but it's elevated by the fact that the subject matter itself is really interesting, and the mythology of the, of the story is really interesting, and a lot of the the nightbreed themselves, a lot of those characters are really fascinating. Like I want to know more about Pelican, you know, or uh, is that his name? Did Pelican. I just make it? Pelican. I was like, wait, was he a bird? <laughs> that doesn't sound right. <laughs> he but. Uh, 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 absolutely but yeah so like a character like Pelican who is who is really fascinating and uh, you know uh, Rachel and and Babette and all that stuff like that's the stuff I'm into as well as as we've said
0: David Cronenberg laying it down like no other <laughs> and that's what this that, I think that's what the sequels were going to be used for as a way to expand out some more backstory for these characters because they, most of them are really interesting characters that they're all on the front cover, you know, and you're like, oh, we're going to get loads of... like The porcupine girl really has about two lines in this movie, if that, yet she's one of the characters front and centre on the poster, you know, like, like the Nightbreed, and we're going to get to know them all. And I get this feeling that some of it's reserved back because they genuinely think, well, if Hellraiser can become a franchise, then surely the Nightbreed will become a franchise too, and it unfortunately just never... It wasn't marketed right um, at all. Um, people found it confusing. Uh, and yeah, the audience just wasn't ready for it yet, which is weird um, because it's one of those ones I think that once again, and, and Weird Duncan does a show about something, and then a couple of weeks later, there's news about it. Uh, there's now talk once again of sci fi putting out a cabal TV show. Or Nightbreed TV show, whatever they're doing. And I think that's where the show fits. I think, you know, like to me, I even back then, I would have thought the Nightbreed would work better as a TV show than it would necessarily work as a, you know, like a, maybe a TV show and something like Showtime or something. Um, I could totally work there as opposed to the film because they try and they almost try, they rush too much of the start. And then I feel they're constrained for time at the end to try and flesh out Midian. What is that? What is Midian Because we we know very little about it until we're actually in it, and then by the time we're in it, and we're like, right, let's let's start to get our bearings. The police have arrived, um, and someone may or may not have a gun, um, <laughs> and then the scene closes. Uh, but uh, you know, literally, that's that's what I feel. And with you, hundred percent, Bo. I think Nightbreed is still not only one of my favorite movies from the nineties, but as a horror fan, it's just one of my favorite movies, and it's because the creature design is awesome. It gives me one of my favourite villains. I'm not offended by Boone as a character. I think he's okay. I don't think he's as interesting as he is in the novel, but he's still okay. Craig Sheffer does a decent enough job. Um, but as someone who, one, loved horror movies, two, read far too many books, and three, was into metal music when he finally sat down to watch Nightbreed, Knowing fine well that he didn't have many friends or many people that wanted to relate to anything that he had an interest in, the idea of a, a collective group of people that could have been my friends in a book, um, kind of rising up against the oppressors or normal people and overthrowing their shackles, um, it totally appealed to me. It's the same. Re- it's the same reason I secretly fist bumped the air when Falcor flies out the sky Never Ending Story. And make the Billy makes the bullies jump jumping at the- the fucking dustbins. <laughs> yeah. It's the same reason. I'm like, yeah, fuck you, bullies. Woo! Um so yeah, it's exactly the same reason. that night breed matches me there i saw at just the right time, and it stuck with me. And doing the review that I did recently with the Baz, the Baz was not a fan. And I'm like, That you're wrong. And he's like, I'm not a fan. And he hates David Cronenberg. And that's not right either. Um uh, yeah, I, I revisit and I, I watch this movie once or twice a year, every year. Uh, and it's like uh, chicken soup to the soul for me. It's, it's a movie I can put on and just feel good about myself when I watch it. Um, yeah. Yes, I'm,
1: Uh Yeah, I, I occur or I concur. I occur, I do occur also. I, um,
4: <laughs> I exist, Darren <Theron> says.
1: <laughs> Similarly, I caught this when I was the weird punk kid sitting in my room. You know, thinking about monsters doing normal things. And yeah, like I said, Decker freaky. I think they could have... There are decent strong women in this. They just didn't focus on them. There's Shauna Saucy, the porcupine lady. There's mm-hmm. Rachel and Babette. I kind of wonder who Babette's dad is. If that's how <laughs> it works. You know. Um, Lori, yeah. Uh, there's never really a point even when i didn't know how anything was going where i was really concerned about what happened to her in in the movie and mm-hmm. the the effects i i think they relatively hold up there are the mm, some stuff that maybe would benefit from being a little grainier but that's just the cruelty of time mm-hmm. um yeah th- this movie any faults that i see in it are ultimately forgiven and it's it's a wonderful movie i've i've watched it three times just (laughs) because in preparation for this when but of course we booked we we started talking about this months and months ago so it's not like i watched it three times this week Uh, cause it can be a bit long, not, not too, I forget what, uh, Barker said that it's, it's only two, uh, only two hours long. <laughs> and I, I think that does sort of translate to this might do a little bit better being fleshed out in a series or something like that. Um, yeah. Uh, and Moses, we've got, uh, what Lylesburg, Moses, Doug Bradley, um. Yeah, there's just so many good. Thi- there's there's a character for everybody. I think. Yeah. And oh man, I can't. What's what's his name? the The guy with the tentacles in his stomach. He and his gay boyfriend. They, you know,
0: they. The the character the character that I refer to is someone just saw Beetlejuice.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> Leroy, Leroy, and the the battle that they had to make or the or the the quest to revive or restore the movie to the original intent and it making less money in the box office than it cost to make to yeah. end up so many years later with occupy midian and just the fandom that you know this could easily have fallen through the cracks of well that's a shame and it didn't so fuck yeah nightbreed vanessa
2: so okay i do enjoy this movie despite my (laughs) little rant earlier but um yeah i i it's just i there's so much of the the artistry in the 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 makeup and effects that i appreciate And uh, the choreography, too, with the creatures, just how they all move and interact. And there's so much of that that I enjoy. And yeah, Cronenberg, I can't imagine anyone else, even though, yes, you're right, he's different in the book, but Cronenberg just makes Decker his own. And I can't now can't imagine anyone else playing that role.
1: Yay! I I picture him when I read the book now, (laughs) even ignoring all the descriptions of him in the book. I just it's Cronenberg,
2: and I just love that single that scene of him sitting there listening to the patient's tape while he's got the big conference room table with all the knives carefully (laughs) placed out on the table, and just his. Calm, the facial expression that he has—that it just, yeah—it personifies so much about that character and how just completely crazy he is.
0: It's also how David Cronenberg lays out his cutlery when you go round to his house for dinner. True story. <laughs> True story. It's awkward okay. because so many of the knives look so similar. I don't know what's the difference between a fish knife and a Fruit knife, you know, gets confusing real quick. He knows, of and, course, he yeah, knows, yeah. and oh, he's
3: gonna tell you all about it. This one yep. is best for gutting, <laughs>
1: <laughs> this one for the bone. Uh, yeah.
2: Well, do we have anything else to add before we go to break and come back with the book?
0: Yeah, I know really, now that the Bo did that dubious impression. Of David Cronenberg, there. I now have a scenario where I can imagine uh, the the Hannibal TV show comes back for a fourth season, um, <laughs> okay. and and you know, and and David Cronenberg is somehow cast as some sort of villain. I just want to see him and Mads Mikkelsen on the same screen together. That's all I'm saying. Most of that show is shot in Canada. Come on, let's make it happen, yeah. people.
2: And Decker is. In both the book and movie, the worst... He's one of the worst psychiatric uh, healthcare professionals ever.
0: Oh, of course. Of course.
2: Even worse than the uh, fraud doctor in Michelle Remembers.
4: <laughs> nice.
2: <laughs> Going back to our Satanic Panic episode. Um.
0: That anyway. was all I had to say. That was all I had to say. I will now okay. shut
3: up.
2: Sure. Anything else before we go to break? I'm good. Okay, Darren. <laughs> no, <Nope. laughs>
1: I I believe I've said my piece and rambled on a little extra more.
2: Okay, and with that, we will be right back.
4: Faye Ray, <laughs> Janet Lee. Adrian King ah! Heather Langenkamp ah! Ah! Amy Steele ah! That weatherman who saw the cockroach Jamie Lee Curtis ah! And you come on, you know you wanna Let her rip ah! There. Now don't you feel better. You are now officially a Scream Queen. Come play with the rest of us at www.ScreamQueens.com. That's Queens with a Z. Or you could subscribe to us on iTunes. Either way, it's gonna be fucking fabulous. The Scream Queens Horror Podcast. It's where horror gets bent.
0: And now, another episode of Quarantine Theater.
1: Freeze! Aaron Boone, you're under arrest.
3: Boone, listen to him. It's no use.
1: Stay back!
3: Inspector, I know how to talk to him. Boone, it's gonna be okay. They know everything now. I've explained everything to them. They're not going to hurt you.
0: I didn't do it. I I didn't hurt anyone.
3: Of course you didn't.
0: Th- then you believe me?
3: I believe you. He's got a gun. No, hold your fire.
4: I said hold
1: your goddamn fire. Where's the gun?
3: He reached into his jacket.
0: Back and to the left. Back and to the left.
3: Speaking of Kevin Back Bacon.
0: Th- yeah. Oh yeah, there we go. And Kevin Costner. Oh yeah, sure enough. There we go. It's a circle of yeah. life. ba. we ah
1: Circle of Life. Vanessa, are you ready?
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm just I'm just letting go.
0: Yeah. Literally, what every single recording with me and Bo is like.
2: I know, yeah,
0: <laughs> all yeah. the time. All yeah, time.
3: we should apologize right here for our
0: behavior.
2: No, yeah, no problem.
3: Yeah,
0: it's the tangents. If we could just stop them.
2: So, yeah. so I wanted to ask the question because I had said I this was my first time reading the book. Mm-hmm. Um, when was the first time you read it? Like. How old were you?
0: Who are you directing that to? Me?
2: You first.
0: Yeah, I can kick it off. As soon as it came <laughs> out. As soon as it came out. So it says 88, then realistically it would have been 89. So I'd read it before the movie came out. Wow. Like, so, no, 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 no. That can't be right. That can't be right. Because I'd read The Shining. That'd be a lie. That'd be a lie. I would have read it. I wouldn't have seen the movie until 92, so I would have read the book in 91 which would be about right, because I'd read Clive Barker first. I would have been 10 when I read this book, weirdly enough. Um, I'd read the book before I'd seen the film. I'd also read this book before. This is the one of the few horror books I'd read before reading Stephen King. So I got to Stephen King mm-hmm. when I was like 12, 13.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and when I say I got into Stephen King, I got like a bag full of Stephen King books given to me um from my mother of all people who said there, there's books read them um, and i was like, oh goody and then read them all and terrified myself <laughs> um but yeah i'd read clive barker before but for whatever reason i hadn't like the name hadn't resonated with me probably because i was like 10 or 11 you know that like, that wasn't sticking with me at all and it wasn't until i was like 16 that i picked up damnation game I was like, this author is amazing. I need to check in more of his stuff. And I was like, what, he's the guy that did Hellraiser? right? I need to find that. Couldn't find the book Hellraiser. Then found out it was a hellbound heart. Read that. Um, And then I think I came back to Cabal at that point as well. So I read it at 10. Didn't really make much sense to me at all. There was a whole lot of terminology in there and a whole lot of sexual acts that I didn't get. I just thought, this is interesting language. This man likes to swear a lot. Um, and then reading it as a 16 year old I was like this is hot <laughs> um, so yeah that, that that would have been that would have been my introduction to Cabal um, which I still I still hold as being one of the, the not one of the best but I think it's top tier Barker considering its, it's size I, I put on the same peg as uh or at the same level of appreciation as I would put something like The Hellbound Heart I think he's written a lot better than both those books um, but they're about the same same level for me in terms of just how they develop the story, push it forward and stuff. And I was saying that, you know, obviously uh, strong female characters and stuff, and in, in the hellbound heart pinheads a woman. Um, so he likes to write evil women <laughs> in his early work. It's almost as if he's trying to tell us something, like he's gay. Uh, he has a fear of women, um, although I don't think he has.
2: But also sometimes, you know, a good female villain... Is the best character.
0: Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I t- I think they're. I love
2: a good female villain.
0: I think we're getting more of them nowadays, but like for a while there, it was if it's not a man, then no. And I was like, I don't know. I think, yeah, a good female villain, yeah, definitely. Because they're more cunning, Vanessa. I don't need to tell you that. Women, <laughs> more, more cunning. Plus, they can multitask, which is the truly the most evil of all things. Like mm-hmm. they can, they can drop a bomb and sort other shit out while they're doing it. They can drop a bomb and calculate out how many people they're about to kill at the same time. Man can't do that. Like man drops a bomb and then takes like an hour to try and work out afterwards. Um, but yeah, I am. I, um, that's uh, yeah. I, I, I would have said. I, realistically, ten or eleven years old, and it didn't really make much of an impact on me then. But made more of an impact on me when I was a bit older. So you can swing that question to Bo now, Bo Ransdell.
2: Yes, Bo. Same question. Yes,
3: I was in college. Oh, college. Uh, yeah, and um, yeah, I was. I was a Clive Barker fan, and I gotta. I have to admit, I'm more a fan of his short stories than I am his novels. As a rule. Uh, oh, yeah. I think he's a brilliant short story writer. I think that his novels tend to get a little bloated, uh, with the exception of something like Cabal, which is pretty lean for for Clive Barker. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I I uh, I had come to this after Damnation game and Books of Blood. I mean, to this day, one of my favorite stories I've ever read, I think, is In the Hills, the Cities. Huh. Which I think is this bizarre, wonderful story. Um, what was it was at the Madonna Pool, I always thought was quite good as well. Uh, a lot of the books of blood stuff is, is really, really good, and the Yat the Yatterine and Jack. Yeah, I love that story.
0: story. Yeah, absolutely love that story.
3: Yeah, and and so uh, Cabal, I think, is one of my favorite novels that he's done outside of uh, the the short story collections and the stuff that everyone kind of knows, you know?
2: Okay. What
3: Darren. about you, Darren?
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was about 12, 12 or 13, I would say. Probably closer to 12, because that's, that's when I first started reading Clive Barker. I read it after I saw the movie, but I, too tended to gravitate more towards the short stories um but i saw the movie and then maybe not not even a week later i was trying to track down the book and luckily uh my best friend's mom's a librarian so she got all the hookups and she was a little cautious i guess to to sure. to to give me some clive barker but ultimately she relented she librarians love to give people books and there were definitely some stuff that i didn't really understand the intent of or some stuff that went totally over my 11 12 year old head at first and and then I think this is maybe the the third or fourth time that I've read it. I am more likely, like I had previously said, I gravitate more towards the short stories. Those are more likely to be repeated by me. I'm this this whole show has kicked me off. I started the books of blood again, and well, nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. Well, the, the books
3: of blood, I think, also opens with the. Uh... I, I guess it's a Claude Barker original, but I, it's something that's always stuck with me uh, the uh, the line "everybody is a book of blood, wherever we're opened, we're read." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Vanessa, the first time yeah. you read this was a week ago.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but I mean i I've read I've read some Barker, but not as much as I would like to have uh, there. Well, I probably didn't start reading him until I was in my early 20s. But I, the reason I've had his stuff, a lot of his his things on my just kind of to read list there, well, it's a very long list of, of things I have on there, but there are different points where I would take breaks from reading horror and where I was reading just complete nonfiction. And, you know, I'd go through periods reading nothing but like Angela Davis and (laughs) Asada Shakur and (laughs) go down a totally different path with my reading. So I think I'm now going back and reading more horror again, kind of, that's one thing with the show. I I've actually started reading more fiction again.
1: Yeah, that is, that is one good thing. It's sort of like being back in college with the show is the the uh guided or not necessarily guided reading but you know it's there's goals there's deadlines
2: yeah yeah and i wasn't sure if i was going to be able to finish reading the book in time
0: <laughs> for the episode oh it's nice and short
2: no my to... edition has extra stuff in it oh I right figured out that that my edition has a couple, like, extra short stories afterwards.
0: Oh, nice!
2: And it almost doubles the book.
0: Oh, I wonder if maybe it's got some of the Book of, book of Blood in there.
2: I don't know. But I, did, I ended up not reading them yet. I, I'm going to read them, but I I was just kind of like, oh, okay, Maya, <laughs> I was thinking I wasn't going to be able to finish, actually, Cabal in time, but...
0: Yeah, I mean, in terms of like speaking of Barker as a a novelist, I I mean he had an early, an early work. I think it's nineteen eighty four is the first adaptation of one of his, one of his uh, short stories, which was done by the same guy that directed uh, Rawhead Rex, who then went on to do Rawhead Rex. Which didn't do well, but at the time that was happening, there had already been options going for, I think, Midnight Meat Train back then as well, had been considered as moving ahead. Um, ostensibly, what would become Candyman was already being getting talked about. And you know, Barker then himself decides that he will do his, his own stuff, so he does Hellraiser at the same time as writing. Cabal and has pretty much right off the back of Hellraiser and the buzz that was getting decided that he didn't want to do the, uh, he didn't want to do um, Hellbound, you know, Hellraiser 2. What he wanted to do was he wanted to invest all his time in Cabal. So it takes two years for that project to be fully realized and released as a movie. But, and then he experiences his trouble there. But in the interim, you then get Candyman, which comes out the same year. Is that right? It's 1990 as well, I think. Want to say that? Is it? Is it '92? Anyone? Bueller? (laughs) Uh, Candy. Candyman. Uh, That was uh,
3: '1992, sir.
0: '1992. Yeah, I was thinking
2: it was '91, but.
0: So yeah, so he does this one. Um, within two years of Nightbreed coming out, Candyman comes out. Um, arguably the best horror film of the decade, and you know. I think, well, yeah, that I think you, so much. I think you can really make a strong case for why it is. Um, but, you know, that one comes out and then things kind of quieten down on the, the Barker front. He does a lot of writing in that time period. He obviously does lots of Illusion in between, does that in 1985. Um, but he does a ton of writing. And some of these big novels come out at that point. I think you get Weaver World and stuff comes out mid-90s. Um, and then... You know, he's still kind of plottering away. And then he starts doing the Aberat stuff, which really is where we are now with Barker. And um, that he's done, he did the first two volumes of Aberat then did Mr. Be Gone and uh, the Scarlet Gospels, which is the final kind of, well, it's the Hellraiser, uh, Lord of Illusions kind of crossover book, which is excellent. Um, and then he did Aberrat 3. And he's got at least two more penned in that series that he said, originally said it was a five part series, but he does all his own illustrations. So he does all his own paintings for those novels. Um, I think each novel has about 200 paintings that it does as well. So the process is like hugely time consuming, uh, which is very frustrating for fans of the book. Yeah. But he's kind of slowed down on that side of things. And I mean, a lot of that's age and his, his interests or whatever. But at the beginning, at the start of his career, hot shit, man. Honestly, you like, Bo was saying, you read the books of blood. There's very little in there, which is not like, this is a fucking great story. Um, and then you're getting, like I say, Damnation Game, I think is, that's his first published novel. It's fucking wonderful. Um, and then you, you get these weird, what I always loved about him was like Bo was saying earlier on he's like stephen king but with semen uh, which is, is kind of i prefer his writing to stephen king for the most part in that there's something like i think stephen king's very very good at telling you what a room looks like you know what i mean like when you like i can visualize the the you know the rooms or the buildings or the houses that you walk into in a stephen king novel i can taste smell and touch the the worlds that Clyde Barker builds in his novels. or something very tangible about them. And that's why uh Cabal always stuck out to me is Midian felt like such a realized place that I could I could imagine it in like my mind's eye um for what it would look like. you know and then when I saw the film and saw how they put Midian together and that it wasn't too dissimilar to be to be fair. Um I, I think that's where Barker's strength has always lay for me. Um, also, the the fact that he has a way of writing about sex, which is hot as fuck, and at the same time, right. complete completely repulsive at times. Like yeah. there are certain scenes that he write about that I'm like, that is is weirdly erotic, but in a way that makes me feel feel kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> but there's just something about the him as an author that he manages to to really capture his fantasy work as. Almost beyond reproach, I um, think he's a phenomenal like writer. And Cabal to me is his first run at kind of doing like a like a teen book, if you know what I mean. Like where he goes and picks up a lot of the themes in Aberat um, from from something like Cabal. You know, worlds built of monsters, and they're all weirdly shaped. Like that's that's basically where he's transitioned it to. It's almost as if he did that and then had all the stuff that he hadn't poured from his system that he carried on throughout. Some of his later works, and then definitely the Aberat world. But um, Cabal is just as a as a breezy read. You can go right through it, very much like Hell, uh, the Hellbound Heart. It's not a long read at all, but you you feel like you're reading a, a movie. I think that's what's great. It's, to me, it's an obvious movie adaptation. You know, it's as one that's geared for it straight away. Because when I'm reading it, I visualise everything, I picture it all. And I think to myself, this would make a great movie, and then you see it. So. Um, yeah, I I, I love it. I love it. I love Clyde Barker. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) he also makes me sometimes spontaneously burst into song. God damn you, Clyde Barker. Shut up, David Cronenberg. (laughs) I like what you're
3: you're keeping uh, with the gag. Yep, I appreciate that.
0: Stick the line then bull have to stick
3: the line <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, Okay, I,
2: bro, can you top that?
3: <laughs> no. But I will say, um what what I really enjoy, I think, about the novel most like I in a weird way I prefer the film, but that's only because of Cronenberg. Yeah. And then everything else about the movie mm-hmm. is or, or everything else about the book is, is superior. Um, I, I think the mythology is far more interesting in the book, uh, for sure, as well as sort of the, the journey of Boone, which feels truncated in the film. In the book, it does feel like this is a character who was sort of always haunted and believed he was a monster, but it's only at the point of his death that he truly becomes one. And like Duncan was saying, all this is, is told with a heavy spice of fucking going on. <laughs> and I, when I was rereading again, the moment uh, in the jail cell where Narcissus is outside <laughs> and it's just like, we got to get down. And, you know, it's it's partly Lori. I mean, certainly she is no victim in that scene. She is she is clearly into it. And it is one of the more graphic, I think, sex scenes that I've I've read in some time. Like I that didn't stick out to me at the time, which is surprising because I was in college. <laughs> but uh when I when I read it again, it was like, holy shit, man, Barker was like typing with one hand and jerking off with the other (laughs) um but it is there there's a line and i'm gonna i wish i had made a note and written it down but it's something like it's the equivalent of him arching his back or like pressing his back against the wall so he can angle his hips to kind of throw a fuck into her and but i don't know if that's exactly the line but it's that kind (laughs) of aggression in the line where it's like god damn clive (laughs) like i appreciate this but like i said i think this is the scene in the book that borders on bestiality which isn't which isn't bad i mean i think there there's a very sexy element to that and but that leads for the rest of the book that laurie is constantly wanting to be consumed by boo you know that's kind of her thing is that You know, she had one in in the book. She says, like, "I, I had one other good anonymous fuck that was almost this good. But Boone has somehow in his beastly undead state managed to get her off in a way that blows her mind. And she can't get enough. And so much of the end of the book, as I read it, at least, is just her trying to get laid again that well. And that is the reason for much of her motivation. I mean, it, it's part and parcel of a, a lot of other things about her, you know, interest in the darkness and, and not being viewed as the good girl and so forth. But, like, at a, at a point in this book, she is like, I am down for monster boon in a way that I was <laughs> never down for human boon. Like, she talks about, like, yeah, when we fucked, it was always real tentative. And it was fine. And I love them. But now that he is this undead monster, shit. Yeah, that's what I like.
2: You don't get that in the movie. <laughs> no,
3: no, and the movie's the worst for it, as far as I'm
0: concerned. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, she's Julia then again. Uh,
3: to an extent, right?
5: I mean, yeah. there is there, yeah. there,
3: there is that element of of like once she she tastes that kind of pleasure. She is not going to give it up, you know, not without not without a fight, not without killing herself to get more fucking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that there's that point where she's masturbating and I think it's her internal monologue where she said dead men make terrible lovers. And yeah. Boone proves her wrong.
3: Yep right right, yeah when and, and like that whole scene is tied up you know in in uh part and parcel of the scene in the jail cell, you know, in she describes in that scene how she does not often masturbate because she has this Catholic guilt about it, whereas you know once she she gets down with Boone in the jail uh cell, it's all over, she is she, she is d t f um <laughs> as Duncan likes to say. But yeah, I, I mean, I think, right, it is part and parcel of her finding this sexual satisfaction that she never had before, and and or at least not with someone that she was in a relationship with outside this anonymous uh, kind of fling that she has. But yeah, un, you know, unsurprisingly, Clive Barker is kind of obsessed with the idea of the animal and bestial nature of of sexuality, and that that can be um sort of consuming for a, an individual that kind of once you get a taste for it, how on earth would you ever give it up?
1: <laughs> yeah, follow that, Darren <laughs> <laughs> uh I'll pay it for it <laughs> to quote Taggart from Blazing Saddles. Ditto. To quote
0: Taggart from the famous Scottish TV show, there's been a murder. (laughs) Murder. I've been mentioning that a lot recently. It's weird. Hasn't been in the telly for like 20 years. There's been a murder.
3: It's come up quite a
0: bit. Yeah, it's weird. Sorry to derail (laughs) everything. No, no. Murder,
1: murder, most foul. Um, I, I think we did get a decent amount of comparison and talk about the, the book while we were doing the movie. And I think part of that is, is Barker tried to make them relatively as true to each other as possible. And we talked about the, the strengths and weaknesses of that approach.
3: Yeah, I, I I do think it falls down in that effort uh, occasionally. But I I think Duncan's right. I think it's just because Clive Barker only had so much real estate in that script. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he did the stuff that was interesting to him, which was the monster stuff. And, and so the relationship fell by the wayside. But Laurie in the book, you know, is if not a powerful character, at least a far more interesting character.
2: She's much more interesting in the book. You get more three dimensional.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's, but that that to me is indicative of like I I think about a lot of the the directors and a lot of the cinema that I am now in love with now, um, and I I see that pattern through a lot of directors and that there is that I there was a kind of a mindset specifically through the 70s and 80s, and it kind of follows from that Hitchcock thing of, you know, like, I, I will do what I want, and, you know, the actors, etc. are just basically pawns on a, a chessboard to be moved around in a way to allow me to get the shots I want to get, and that's it. We weren't really invested in making sure that story's the best it can be, actors or the actors are. And I get the feel that's where I land with it. I, I get the feeling that just Barker just wasn't interested in that part of the story and as such it gets kind of a bit of lip service but nothing more um, and that is, I, I think that's probably and it's something that I haven't really considered all that much until Vanessa brought up I think that is maybe one of the biggest trappings of the movie um, and it's, it's the sort of thing that I think you know, we're behind tight you don't have to do that much to fix that at all, um, but then I think I, I think then the product of the movie becomes something completely different, um, and how the rest of that works. In the novel, he finds a a balance which is once again not that great, but at least you have that benefit of like when Bo was saying, when Boone's out the way, we're really with Laurie as she's trying to piece together bits and bobs and try to work things out i think they try and do that in the movie but it's so ham-fisted and so flung together poorly as a way to do a bit of exposition to get us back to getting Boone on the screen it feels kind of frustrating i did find out um in the interim while we we're all t- uh talking there I wanted to see if there had been any other casting rumors for for the craig sheffer role and apparently there was two other actors up for consideration Bo. Uh, one being Rutger Hauer, all right, which, yeah, which was quite interesting. The second one, though, Christopher Lambert. Oh, no, yeah, I <laughs> see. I don't, I don't think he, I
3: think Rutger Hauer doesn't look quite right for the part.
0: I think he's too gnarly, yeah, at, uh, that time yeah. being as well. I don't, th- I don't like the idea of Christopher Lambert in there.
4: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I am Boone.
4: <laughs> look at me,
0: I am Nightbreed. <laughs> There can be only one. No, that's all. <laughs> hey, hey, <hey>.
5: well, Lori, <laughs> do you want to have sex in a jail cell? <laughs>
4: that's
0: right. <laughs> yeah, that seemed to have been Cronenberg would not have worked.
4: <laughs> you know?
0: yeah. So you believe me then?
4: Hey. <laughs> <laughs>
0: not if you laugh like that. I think actually you do have a. He does have a gun. (laughs) Just him laughing while he's getting shot. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) sounds like a sounds like a like a really shit like kids machine gun. You know, really really bad. No, that wouldn't have worked. I'm glad they didn't do that. No, for the chef, big chefers, (laughs) the sea chef. (laughs) As he's C- now. C- <laughs> I wanna make love to your children. I wanna lay you down by the fire.
2: <laughs> on,
3: <chef>. Yeah. <laughs> Reaching into the the bag of the early two thousands for that reference. Well, um... <laughs> coming Kids, back for, uh, uh,
0: South Late Park London. was a cartoon.
1: That's we coming back to- for its twenty second season yeah, in
0: September. That was to- just
2: nominated for another Emmy.
0: Yeah, that's right. Suck my dick, Ransdell. Just because old man Ransdell doesn't know Seth Park's still on the TV.
2: Which yeah, also, I mean, by the way, David Lynch was nominated for directing and writing.
0: Yes, right? I did. I, uh, yeah. Uh, the, the only thing that annoyed me more is that Twin Peaks is only up for, what, f- four or five Emmys? And it should be up for them all. Well
3: right. Even musicals, whatever it is. Joe. <laughs> that,
0: every single thing.
4: Pride
2: show. <laughs>
0: Well, it has the single, uh, maybe some of the best music in a TV show ever, but the single best use of um, music in that episode, episode number eight, Nine Inch Nails kicks things off, it gets dark, and then a fucking atomic bomb goes off, and shit gets cray.
3: Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, the Nine Inch Nails. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man.
0: And the Emmy goes to surprise, surprise! Like everyone that everyone, if, if the world was fair and just, every award would go to Twin Peaks, and there would be no sarcasm and no yawning from the people opening the fucking envelope. They'd be nodding and fucking fist pumping and agreeing.
3: I I hope he wins. I and I hope he goes, which he probably would not. But I would love to see David Lynch
0: accepting anything <laughs> for Twin Peaks.
2: <laughs> yep.
0: What would these Bo, what would his uh, acceptance speech sound like?
5: Boy, <laughs> this is some surprise! <laughs> I'm really grateful. We're gonna do another season all animated.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all animated on extra sketches.
5: <laughs> oh it's gonna be stop motion shrinky dinks. I think everyone's really going to like it.
0: <sighs> oh, give him the awards. Give him all the awards. He is uh, he is talking. I don't know why we're going off topic, but let's do it. Um, he is talking about having, I did read some, uh, it was like a web interview thing or whatever he was doing, where he was saying that he is getting a feeling that he wants to go back to Twin Peaks. I was like, no, Dave, let's not do this. Let's not do it. You've done it perfectly.
3: Uh, But let man, he can do whatever the hell he wants. If if David Lynch is like,
5: I got an idea,
3: then I'm I want to know what that idea is.
0: Yeah, I I want to see how crazy it gets. Yeah, I just don't think we'll ever see Twin Peaks again. I think him seeing that is him having fun, maybe at the expense of fandom.
3: Yeah, that's fine too. I mean, whatever, (laughs) honestly, at this point. David Lynch could just put out a film that, is, you know, sort of like the art life of him just sitting around smoking cigarettes and just talking about whatever comes into that crazy brain of his. And I will pony up my money every time for that movie.
0: I'll tell you right now, if there ever there is another season of Twin Peaks, we are going right back to the beginning and run that train right all through fucking those three seasons right before season four
3: yeah i don't i don't know that
0: we'll record all of it but we'll watch it whoa sure. we're, <laughs> no, we're not, whoa don't back at me here ranz though we like when i say we're doing it we're doing it We're recording just, all, all right it. all right fine
1: just you and i both
0: just you and i yeah, i mean <laughs> how do i can't say no to that
1: <laughs> yeah didn't human duncan miss out on it
0: uh human duncan did miss out on it he did indeed
3: <laughs> For more of that stupid mythology, check out Duckett <laughs> and
0: Cup Correct. It's uh, almost as is almost as preposterous as Twin Peaks mythology. Not quite, <laughs> but not far off it right now. You know, but the more I think about the mythology of
3: Twin Peaks, the more I think it is the most it it, it is not the most complete mythology, but in many ways, it's the most satisfying. It doesn't it, have
0: to be complete. Like yeah. I, th- I think the best mythologies aren't complete. I think that's the beauty of the, the, the story, is it is open to speculation constantly. Um, and I think David Lynch, I always come back to it, is that David Lynch to me is the summation of that infamous interview where the man asks him, um, you know, I heard head is your most religious film to date. And he says, yes, it is. And the guy says, Care to elaborate on that? And he goes, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> literally, that's David Lynch in a nutshell, and that's Twin Peaks in a nutshell. It is tantalising to the point of you could spend eternity speculating every single element in in that show and what it means and how it adds up and all the rest. And and David Lynch could come back and give you a little bit more, which makes you think about it in a completely different way, but he'll never answer anything, and it shouldn't.
5: Yeah, and that's the strength that...
0: of the the strength of the show is its mystery, and it remained that was the beauty of Brent the Returned And hindsight was not that, you know, not that David Lynch was coming back to fix everything that he'd done because he'd been given two opportunities to do that and had already said, "Nah." it Was the fact that he gave us enough for us to piece together elements and bring the story back to a place where it felt like we might get, and then set up a whole new world right at the very end. I think that's right there. You need a fucking, you need grapefruit sized testicles to do that. To take like millions and millions of a showrunner's budget and then just leave that show with, you know, know, what time is this?
5: (laughs) This is the water and this is the well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> got
0: a light.
3: Um, oh man god damn so much, that season I'm, was so
0: good it's so fucking good it's so good um uh, but yeah uh, i don't know how we got to david lynch but it feels good that we did yeah sorry
2: i brought it up I it's remember. so
0: good though um yeah it makes me it makes me happy every single time Ed, like bo says anything that man wants to do like anything at all and he has me in for life um he's like yeah some of the, the the best movies ever made, uh, and easily the best TV ever made. So,
5: we have the corpse of Harry <laughs> Dean Stanton for season four. Oh no! Ironically, he put on weight since he died. Oh, oh, no! <laughs> no. Pure. He's pure. whisper thin. have
3: you seen lucky yet i have not it's fantastic man it really is i need to get on that yeah i need to get on that if if you like some hds which i know you do
0: i do indeed to do
3: it it is to harry dean stanton what nebraska was for brewster oh nice just here is this like Final, I mean, Bruce Stern's still alive, he could still do great stuff, but Harry Dean Stanton turning this one final just bravura performance that is just as incredibly autobiographical, it seems, where he's just this old chain smoking atheist whose buddies have all died, and he's just sitting around kind of laughing about it all. You know, it's oh, it's so good. <laughs>
0: Well, it's still like he he does that in Twin Peaks, doesn't he?
3: Yeah, yeah, I, and watching Lucky, it, I mean, Lucky is by no means as surreal as something like Twin Peaks,
0: but there is definitely shared DNA. Yeah. Nice, nice. I, I would know, we'll definitely check it out. We'll definitely check it out. But Cabal... Yes.
2: Well, so Cabal, <laughs> would you God recommend you. this?
0: Duncan. Would I recommend this? Yes. Um, I think... I actually, I think it's a really good entry point for Clyde Barker. Like, just, just generally, if if I was trying to recommend a book for someone to get into Barker, I think there is, yes, it is a bit of a mucky book. I uh, say mucky in the Scottish term, mean it's a bit full of the riding, bit of the shagging, bit of the sex. Um, that's what the kids call it, isn't it? Um, but yeah. The that,
3: sex, yes.
0: Yeah, the sex. Yeah. Um, I have partaken in the sex. <laughs> I did not like it. Uh, How many
3: times have you had the sex now?
0: Yes, I gave it a thumbs down on the Netflix grade. Thumbs down. Thumbs in the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> no the only no thing more jarring about that wasn't the fact that it was in the bottom was the fact that you said thumbs.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah. And I'm thinking ball. more about yeah, like, kind uh, of a Fonzie move. <laughs> a- <laughs> <I don't... laughs> what does that mean did you like did you smack it at the side and hope it played a song? I don't I don't get what. No, he,
2: he gave the thumbs up. <laughs> They're venereal diseases.
0: Yeah. What <laughs> 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 yeah, you is Got AIDS. AIDS. <laughs> Sorry, that's terrible. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so I think uh, in terms of you, motherfucker. Well. Um, yeah, in terms of, I think it's, I think it's a perfect entry point for Clyde Barker. I think from there, you get a good grasp of his world building, his love for monsters, which are through all his novels, really, um, a bit of the darker side. But it's, it's a quick read. It's a breezy read. You can get right through it, and then from there, you could go anywhere. You could do like a Mister Be Gone or Hellbound Heart. And then start spanding out and, and enjoying more of what it does. So yeah, in terms of without yes, I recommend the film and the book. I think they're both great.
3: Both. Well, I thing. disagree. Um. No. No. I. I think. <laughs> yeah. I. I think Duncan's right. As much as it pains me to say it, that. <laughs> uh, it is a nice entry point. Like it. It. Nightbreed feels like. Even in the director's cut, more a much more traditional kind of monster story. Even though the protagonist and the antagonist are reversed in the film, it's a much more palatable movie in many ways than something like Hellraiser, which is a little darker and a little kinkier and and that sort of thing. Even though I think, you know,
0: push come to shove, I think Hellraiser is the superior film. Oh yeah, story. no new no, qualms here, That is that is the right thing to say on this show. I'm glad I have your approval I guess anyway well um... yeah. just giving you something back because <laughs> just giving you something back because I know it pains you earlier on to say that you agreed with me All yeah right, that's right
2: well no I I I'm right there with you though too it's Hellraiser is definitely the superior
0: yeah just waiting for a both sarcastic comment against you Vanessa oh what's that it's not coming out oh well there we go
2: not yet
3: Right, this isn't devour. That's, yeah. that's where
0: that happens. Yeah, no.
2: Trust me, I get enough from him there.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah she's Lady Duncan on that show. Um, <laughs> Lady Duncan seems seems probably reductive, but
0: in, in fairness, I was Lady Duncan earlier on. So <laughs> nice. Yeah, I know.
3: Uh, well, you see that you never saw the you never saw the pictures. Woo. Hey, as long as you're happy.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah. So I I think the movie is is sort of it's elevated because of Cronenberg and and the root story, and it's a it's a fun enough movie for sure. I I think it it's got its problems. If you've never seen a Clive Barker film or or read a Clive Barker story, there are parts of that film that droop a bit. But that being said, I, I still recommend it, and as far as the book goes, that's a little bit more of an easy recommend in a lot of ways, because there's just so much more going on, and and it gives you, you know, Clive Barker with both barrels. both uh, the th- There is some lyrical writing uh, to his work that I like. Not always, but he can turn a phrase when he wants to. And like Duncan was saying, there, there is a grittiness or, or, or a, a a texture to his writing, a tangibility to it. And I think a lot of it comes from the, the fact that there's such a, a heavy sexual content to it that I think every, you can't think about fucking without thinking about like getting sweaty and, you know, slapping folk and whatnot. And
2: <laughs> it's very sensual. It's very sensual.
3: It,
0: yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. but with, with an edge, sweaty and not... slapping folk. That's how exactly. board describes. That's how <laughs> say, describe sex. I mean, when you're Sw- looking for a good time, yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I mean, somebody's getting hit. Could be me. I'm not saying I'm out of the loop on that. <laughs> but like, it, like in the um. The jail cell scene, which I keep coming back to because it's things go down in that cell. But there the uh, one of the descriptions is of in the in the midst of their their passionate love making, uh that Lori spits on his face and he yeah. laughs and spits right back in hers. And it's like that's the kind of dirty fucking that you remember like that's one of those (laughs) things I'm not saying it happens every time I'm saying when it does you're like god damn I may marry this woman (laughs) (laughs) am I revealing too much is that a problem Uh, but yeah I would recommend it if you want to see what uh how you respond to the kind of fucking that's going to make you happy and (laughs) satisfied
2: Darren. Two thumbs
0: in, says Bo. <laughs> Two
3: thumbs in, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Two thumbs uh, in no spit. Uh, that's right. Yeah, just. You, know, a, you
2: always have skirt. to use at least some sort of lube.
0: Yeah.
3: Just it's, it's where the man. spit comes in, you know, just a poop. That's poo, what uh, I'm
2: saying. Poo. At least spit.
0: Yeah. And <laughs> uh, I, 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 I never use lube. I just use willpower.
3: I'm sure your your partners all appreciate that. <laughs> oh, this willpower is so smooth.
1: <laughs> um, I would give. <laughs> Who asked for ahead? friction burns?
0: No one. Um, right, I've got an Indian burn in my vagina. Is that how you want to live. There you go. You can you can take that clip that Bo just said. I have an Indian burn in my vagina. It's, you can take that. Isolate it and use it. We don't for want an
2: Indian burn there. No, right?
0: No, but use, use that. That's the greatest line I've ever heard come out of Bo's mouth. You now tag that to Bo. Whenever he says anything, just play it back to him. <laughs> just Bo's saying, I've got an Indian burn in my vagina.
1: It's at the two hour, 45 minute mark in the tape.
0: <laughs> for the record,
3: yeah. <laughs> About the time that the vagina comments come out, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> i would give this two glistening narcissus thumbs up Ooh, yeah uh i agree with everything you guys said about being a good introduction we've done uh, a lot of comparison with him and stephen king and that's one of the things that i was thinking about was you notice that the sex even though it's raunchier and dirtier you notice when it's cut out and with mm. stephen king it just kind of seems like it could be there, or it could be gone, yeah you know, like the the hand job scene in pet cemetery mm-hmm. that most people don't even yeah. you know think about, but yeah, two thumbs up uh, <laughs> <laughs> while Bo puts two thumbs in uh Vanessa, <laughs> how many thumbs uh
3: are you going to give it, and where would you like them? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well <laughs> <laughs> um i uh, I'm I got distracted. I'm so sorry. I had a thought and I really Oh thanks. things
3: things got sexy. It's fine.
2: <laughs> I went to fisting and I just <laughs> no. Anyway. Um
3: that
4: just
2: that's, that's a different Clive Barker book entirely, I'm thinking of. Um, No, I always enjoy reading Clive Barker, but you're right. This is a great introduction to to I mean, if if someone isn't sure if they're into his kind of writing, because, yes, he is different than Stephen King. Um, And you guys, yeah, pretty much said everything else. (laughs) But
1: It's a team effort.
2: I had another thing I was going to say, but I still got just so distracted, and like I said,
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think if you know, like, went
5: to
2: fisting, it just
1: the hell well, down it, fist,
2: as it does.
3: I was thinking the damnation fist, actually, uh. <laughs> but even the scene in the hotel room, like when uh, Boone and Lori go back to the the motel in town after he's left Midian in the movie it's just like oh look here's here's some folks who died and you know what a fun bit of trivia that it's john skip and craig spector mm-hmm. meanwhile in the book it's people murdered in the midst of a menage mm-hmm. you right. know that is the clive barker stamp right there it's just like all right yeah they're fucking but what if they were really fucking There's <laughs> <laughs> a couple of dudes and a lady in between and then they get killed. And that's kind of to me, that perfectly summarizes Clyde Barker's writing is sure, sure, somebody's gonna die, but what if we
1: get a little sexy first? Right. I think that that about covers it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> With
1: all sorts of bodily fluids. <laughs>
3: Yay! Night seed. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Or like on Facebook some
4: nuts.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> on that note.
3: <laughs> Always goes back to Bob Seeger somehow.
2: Um wow, that was kind of terrifying. Um <clears throat> do you have anything else to say before we wrap things up? Anybody?
3: No. I apologize for my behavior in Duncan's.
0: I too apologize for both. Why? <laughs> what a jerk.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> He's been on here before and I actually let him back on.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. I'm I'm assuming that he, he had something over you. <laughs> like an unclean debt. <laughs>
3: I was playing the log con where on that episode, I was fairly restrained. <laughs> where I was like, oh, but when they have me back, that's when I talk about all the cum.
1: Yep, That's when the zipper mask comes out.
3: Um, well, we
2: were talking about Jeffrey Dahmer and a whole bunch of different other kind of cum then, but.
3: <laughs> yeah. That's that's frustrated serial killer cum on your hands there. <laughs>
2: We talk about cum a lot on this show.
1: Well, no yeah. no better place, maybe.
3: Yeah, yeah. it seems, uh, you know, pushing the brand for sure.
2: Exactly. Anyway. Well, thank you guys for being here. Do you want to... I'm going to... Each of you uh, plug whatever you're working on. Um... Okay. <laughs> I'm going to let Bo go first. I'm going alphabetical.
3: <laughs> yeah, suck it, Duncan. Um... <laughs> well i've recently uh will be appearing on several uh or a couple of episodes of the podcast under the stairs which you can check out at tputs.com. couldn't even get
0: the website right couldn't even get the
3: website right. oh com. sorry um also uh legionpodcasts.com which you can find this wonderful show as well as many others uh pick six movies uh is doing a new season season two of that is underway where we're doing uh, Saturday night live movies with my buddy Chad. And, uh, and a lot of those are really terrible. And then uh, also uh, some great shows that I ain't even on like uh, Friday the 13th, which is uh, a fantastic show. Uh, just dropped a new episode recently. You got your cinema beefs. You got your hail mean power hours, just uh, head over there. You can find uh, just about anything horror related and other uh, over on legionpodcasts.com, uh, as well as my appearances on com, And we're on Devour the Podcast
2: together. And
3: Devour, yeah, Devour <laughs> the Podcast. I, I That would have, speaking of pushing a brand, considering <laughs> two of the three of us are here, I should have said that. Devour the Podcast. We got a new episode coming up where we're going to be talking about uh, Veronica and Hereditary, or as they say in Scotland,
1: Hereditary. <laughs> uh,
0: that's exactly how we say it. Hereditary.
4: Uh okay. Psycho
1: Semanticast is one of the other on
0: uh well sometimes yeah, you delve
1: into horror, but
0: There
3: it's a lot of shows. There I can't keep up <laughs> with them all.
0: That's why you should That's why you should just say check out all the shows in Legion Bo, because then you're opening yourself up to remembering them all. I know, I know. I will I will say for my part, I wasn't actually gonna plug my show. That's why I jumped in first. The only thing I wanted to plug is Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Which is a show that both me and Bo do together, which is on Legion Podcast Network. But we are currently on a slight hiatus, um, not for too long. We will be coming back real, real soon with a commentary of Silence of the Lambs, which will break the internet, which will be the greatest thing that's ever happened. Uh, it will be the one thing I recommend every single person put themselves through in the year. 2018 is our commentary about do it a couple of times because it will be fucking incredible you will be watching a movie and as and when the lines are happening both me and Bo will be trying to act the same characters over the top of each other because that's the only way that commentary is going to go plus we've got a a really rich back catalogue over there our first two seasons exclusively looked at um movies that we picked for each other that the other one hadn't seen Um, And then we've done some TV since then. Done the entire run of Twin Peaks. We have done season two of True Detective. We have done seasons one and two of Westworld. And we definitely did not, 100% could not watch the new season of The X-Files. But we did watch the season before.
1: So there we are. Yes, There's the Mandela effect again. Mm Mm-hmm.
3: And and to... Uh, piggyback on what Duncan said. Uh, when you listen to the Silence of the Lambs commentary, you don't have to have the sound of the movie up at all because we'll be doing all the lines. Oh, the whole so, thing! Yeah, the whole I, thing. That's that is going to be a tremendous mess.
0: Uh, yeah, it's the anarchy. <laughs> like <laughs> it's going to be the greatest thing that's ever happened. I am a Hannibal. <laughs> but-
2: yeah, I c- considered having you do a- another scene in here because it was just, uh, you know, it were- too much fun could be had. But I, you know, had to rein you in a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love
3: the suit. Toughens the nipples, doesn't it? <laughs> oh,
1: God. That's going to be <laughs> glorious. I'm going to take the the wrap off my criterion for that one. It's going to be um, a whole lot of...
0: Precious!
3: Precious!
1: Talk to, <laughs> talk to a fat person
3: talk to that's Jim Pembry up there god damn it it's <laughs> my new favorite line from that movie when I watched it last time, I was like I can't believe that line has not come out of my mouth at least once a day
2: <laughs> oh. anywho on that note Um, Darren, what are we doing next month?
1: Next month? (laughs) We are taking a slight detour from our normal literature and movie while we brace ourselves to tackle The Handmaid's Tale in September. Next month, we are doing Death to Smoochie and Orgasmo. Speaking of the South Park guys. (laughs)
3: Now you're a man. Man, a man a man. <laughs> it's the best part of or- orgasmo as far
1: ex- as
2: I'm concerned. Expect a lot of singing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from both of us.
1: My step does not mean he's just adjusting. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs>
4: But you can you? also
1: find us at VD Clinic Pod on Instagram, at VD Clinic Pod on the Twitter, and VD Clinic Podcast on the Facebook.
2: Yes. Okay. I guess um, that's it for me. I'm out of here. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye,
3: goodbye everybody. everybody. I've got an Indian bird in my vagina. <laughs>